name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for X-Men First Class. Uh, I will be discussing it with uh, my esteemed colleagues, Christian Costan... Jeez, Christian Costansky, I think. Just pronounce it Schweinebauer. And Kelly Wand, who might have an X-Men First Class related tagline for us. What do you got, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I hear January Jones has a little Matthew Vaughn in her. Are they an item? You don't know this? I don't. I, my subscription to People Magazine lapsed about a couple, uh, three months he ago. He cheated so. on Keith. This is all uh, being just rumor that mm-hmm. he supposedly cheat. He's married to Claudia Schiffer, and he cheated on her with January Jones. And she's having a kid, but she won't say whose it is. Well, good. Maybe, uh, maybe the the former governor of Arkansas will be off the hook. For uh, some of his scandals, once all this stuff burbles out, you think? It's all and John Edwards. It's the year of the baby again. <laughs> only for the illegitimate baby. Right. January. Here's my other one. January Jones may be able to turn into diamond, but her performance in this movie is strictly wooden. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, that's more of a I'm like not. a. That's like a review. That's a film credit, right? It's right. For the it's for the DVD box. That one. Right. Uh, Dickus, why don't you tell us what, before we start spoiling things about January Jones' performance, why don't you just give us the baseline about what this movie was that we saw this week? All right, this week we saw X-Men First Class, a 2011 American adventure comic book drama movie (laughs) directed by Matthew Vaughn and written by him, Jane Goldman, Ashley Miller, and Zach Stentz. The film is about the origin of the X-Men and the relationship of Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher. It stars... Michael Fassbender, uh, James McAvoy, Kevin Bacon, Jennifer Lawrence, and her totally awesome knee-high boots. Uh, the mm. film is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of action and violence, some sexual content, including what? brief partial nudity, and language, also because those boots are so sexy. All right. Uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you spoil it for folks? Can you give us what, – what are you calling this synopsis? There's a lot of words you could play on here. What would you call this week's synopsis? Ex-mepsis fourth classis. <laughs> That's Latin. Good. Very good. For uh, for what? For classical it's studies. It's kind of dinosaur. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the Latin word for great white shark from Jaws. Very good. Uh, it's like a doll's eye. So uh, give it give it to us. Uh, tell us what happens, and it's okay to spoil things. If you're listening and you haven't seen X-Men First Class, my colleague Kelly Wand here is about to spoil things for you, so I just want to warn you. Kelly Wand, take it away. Okay, uh, so this uh, blonde, uh, debonair British guy is supposed to be Jewish, I guess, named Eric Magneto. Ben's a fence at Auschwitz when he's a kid, so a high-ranking Nazi named Kevin Bacon forces him to move a coin with his mind by killing his mom. But Magneto can only do shit when he's angry, like Carrie, so he kills these two guards wearing metal helmets, but he doesn't kill the guy who killed his mom and then doesn't kill any other Nazis because they killed his mom like five seconds ago, and his rage has pretty much abated. Also, he was screaming the number nine the whole time. (laughs) Because either I figured that's the ninth relative Kevin Bacon killed that week, or because his mom was his ninth favorite relative. So anyway, uh, I guess he escapes, and instead of using him to win the war, Kevin Bacon leaves the uh, 
Nazi regime and opens a casino in Vegas called the Hellfire Club, which is really popular with senators because it's the only joint in Vegas where the women keep their tops on. Contrary to what Dingus implied. And Kevin... Is it Bacon or Bacon? Kevin Bacon now has the power to absorb energy from bullets or grenades and turn it into CG farts and vomit. Or maybe he had it when he was a Nazi, but he didn't use it to win the war, which wouldn't really explain why he's like a commander who sits behind a desk. But anyway, now he wants to start a nuclear war between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, because if everybody's irradiated, he can charge a higher VIG at his casino. And Professor X is a kid who discovers a mutant posing as his mom in his kitchen and asking him if he wants an ice cream sundae. And he catches her by reading her mind and going, My mom knows I hate ice cream sundaes. Plus, she's dead. Plus, I live here alone. And she goes, Wait, why would you need to be telepathic to know any of that? And then she turns blue and he goes, Oh, I get it. You're robbing me. Just move in. We'll say you're my sister. Since I don't have any parents, there won't be any complications. <laughs> and she's all, I'd sit on your lap, but I'm not old enough in this scene. And he's all, I knew you weren't because I read your mind. And she's all, wow, you're amazing. And the CIA agent named Royza McBurnert sneaks into his <laughs> casino. <laughs> by uh, happening to have worn lingerie that day <laughs> and by Kevin Bacon's place, not having any cameras and not knowing who does and doesn't work there. And uh, she instantly finds a magic table that takes her to a hidden office with no security or cameras and finds some files with Russian words on them and watches through a hole in a bookcase, Kevin Bacon and his friends having drinks with the devil and a red-haired senator, whom by threatening with CG, they get to agree to declare nuclear war over Cuba just like in the history books that 13-year-old kids chose seeing this movie over reading. Because dying in a nuclear war is more appealing to senators than Kevin Bacon killing them with non-nuclear fire CG. And Professor X is now this British Austin Powers guy who gets a lot of co-ed tail by recycling the same one line about mutated eyeballs um, even though he's a telepath and could just use a different line for each chick, and for that matter, make them all have sex with him. But he also looks like James McAvoy, and he's rich, so he doesn't need to say shit, really. Which is why his only friend is Jennifer Lawrence, the house robber and mom imposter that he's trained to turn blue and naked less often, but also to make her nipples disappear once she's blue, because then she'd stand out too much. So Rose Byrne hires James McAvoy so she can hook him up to a computer so he can see everybody in the world, like the Patriot Act, and find ones with superpowers. But they only want the ones who were born that way. So fuck you, Spider-Man and Hulk and Thor and Galactus. Uh, so they recruit a girl who has wings, who has the perfect job for a chick with wings. She's a stripper who leaves her top on. And she's mad because guys only get horny for her without the wings. Because a hot stripper who can levitate evokes only prudish horror in males. And they find a black guy who can turn his face into a fish's by dunking his head in a toilet bowl. So they call him Darwin. He's sort of the Michael Winslow of the group. Oh, God. <laughs> 
and they call Mystique Raven because ravens are blue. Charles Dark. Who was black and a cabbie, the Charles Darwin from history. And there's a guy who shoots red laser circles from his Iron Man chest plate, so they call him Havoc. And they also get a guy who has no luck with girls because his superpower is screaming like a girl at Marineland. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Uh, and there's also a nerd guy named Hank McCoy who has freakish hairy balls. Oh, on his feet, right. And Mystique likes him because he's a genius up until the scene that he invents a magic syringe that enhances mutant genes instead of getting rid of them like he says it does because he got those two terms mixed up. <laughs> and then he gets half the syringes and hands it to her with the words, this shit definitely works. <laughs> I love you. Here. And the kids have a Twinkie party at the CIA, but nobody makes out or drinks, even though one chick's a stripper and another one's a shapeshifter. But they do destroy a Rocky statue with lasers, and Darwin doesn't do the right thing to the window, so James McAvoy has to write the government a check. And Kevin Bacon attacks the CIA to get the kids to join him, but the only one he snags is the stripper who never strips, so it probably wasn't worth the hassle. And bloodshed. And gas. So James McAvoy teaches the kids to control their powers by testing them on each other and, afterwards, on department store mannequins with no nipples, even though Batman had nipples in the Joel Schumacher ones. And Joel Schumacher and Brian Singer are both, anyway, a bunch of nothing. Oh, yeah. So a bunch of nothing happens, and then they lose World War III. Magneto moving a submarine onto an aircraft carrier by gesturing and acting like he's holding his breath. But against James McAvoy's wishes, he kills the psychopath Nazi who instigated nuclear war because shooting terrorists and dumping them in the ocean isn't what America's all about. So as their reward for killing a superpowered terrorist... U.S. and Russian governments that were about to kill everyone on Earth fire missiles at the X-Men, even though they just saw Magneto move a submarine through the air, which I'm no rocket surgeon, but probably weighs as much as four missiles. And Rose Byrne tries to shoot Magneto for saving their lives, but her bullet goes into James McAvoy's spine because Magneto can't choose what direction he deflects bullets in, except for always. And even though they're made away. Oh, even though the costumes are made of unstable polymers that never rip, their costumes aren't bulletproof, just exploding, crashing airplane proof. Sorry, Professor X. <laughs> I, I just wrote that part. Uh, and Magneto wears a magic hat that protects him from telepathy, which is smart. And Professor X gets a wheelchair made out of metal that Magneto could crush like paper mache, which is really dumb. And he erases Rose Byrne's memory, like in Superman 2, so she loses her job. And Mystique joins Magneto, because he didn't kill her friend Darwin, even though he's now allies with the devil and January Jones, who did kill him, and the stripper who didn't mind they killed him, and can no longer fly, so she's even less valuable now, but she made up for it with characterization. And then I stayed through the credits for the inevitable Marvel <laughs> Easter egg, along with about 13 other people in the theater, which even Brett Ratner had one of in X3 at the end of it. And there wasn't one, but the end credits were 60s even though the music wasn't. The end. 
Oh, very nice, Kelly Wand. The superhero ones just write themselves, don't they? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that, that you clearly showed that you got your training in either Afghanistan, Chechnya, or Pakistan with that one. Very well done, Kelly Wand. Wait a minute. They don't make movies in Pakistan. I, I dispute that. I think that was a late <laughs> addition on your part. Yes, I, I added that in. I'm, I'm just pandering. Wait, that wasn't a movie. Uh, okay, you know what? I got One of you, please, 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 one of you have liked this. Please, at least one of you. Who's... Well, are we going to do the prediction thing? And who's the who's the most exciting to predict? I don't. I don't. Because I knew you would hate this. Did you really? I, okay. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> but you know what? All right. It's like the fuck the prediction. No one cares. Uh, but I liked the first half a little bit when it was kind of espionage and it opens with like five or six brutal murders, which I thought was awesome. And they seem to be having kind of a little fun with the era, and it's like the Silver Age of Marvel. It's 1962. And right. then, like, the second half, it turns into the usual, I don't know, post-Dark Knight superhero movie. And it's only, like, I'm tired. I think we've reached the event horizon on superhero movies. I don't think we can – and I know there's, like, nine more of them this summer, but, <laughs> dude, I can't take it anymore. And this thing got stellar reviews. It was the number one movie. Obviously, I'm an idiot for saying anything against it. My mom liked it. She's a really tough room. You think so? You think Dingus might have liked it? Because you're, you're not you're not living up to what I was hoping for. Because I just I have nothing nice to say about this silly thing. Dingus, are you gonna are you gonna defend this movie for us today? Hey, do you guys remember when we did that Avatar podcast? <laughs> are we gonna have a recap? Oh yeah. Awesome. Good. Thank God. Ugh. Really? I'm I excited. Fucking, I just loved this movie so much. Oh, Yay. I'm so happy. All right, for I'm so Dingus. happy. All right, I can't believe just... you guys hated it. I I guess I I, I expected Tom to because there's. Like a mask in it, and he can't stand masks. Um, but uh, oh god, I love it so much. I like I chunks of it. I don't think there I was like a mask it. in it, by the way, Dinkus. Well, the a- funny hat. I think the funny hat worked as a mask, and I think also Raven, the blue Raven, works as a mask. What got me was, and I, so I don't. So here's the thing, Dinkus. You don't. Uh, you you like to think you're into comic books. I think you have more of a tolerance for them than I do. I just have no tolerance for this sort of thing. Uh, we know why that me. is, and. We know why what is. Explain your comic book thing. My comic book thing? Yeah. Oh, I just you don't hate care comics for it. because no, no, and tell why. What do you mean? I love this. Well, because they're stupid. No, that's not the. You love a lot of stupid things. It is. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> well, I just don't think I get the whole superhero thing. I just no, no, get... no, no. You don't get. You don't like. You told me that you don't like it. Mixing art and literature, it, they distract from each other rather than support. Oh, oh, I see what you're getting at. Well, that's yeah, that's not specifically a complaint about this movie, but it is hard for me to read like graphic novels and comic books because I feel like they're they're competing for different types of attention. The way you look at a picture is different from the way you read words, and comic books are very much dependent on on joining those. So even something that's rich that I think I might enjoy, like The Watchmen, I I just have a hard time. That 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 format doesn't really work for me. What about silent movies versus movies with sound? That's the movie that's sound. That's <laughs> in color. That's distracting but, your eye. But more to the point for this, I just just superhero stuff doesn't work for me. I mean, this to me was, uh, and I want you guys to talk about this more because I just I, just to to sort of get to what my problem was. This to me is what I sort of think of as doodad based drama, where uh, you know I love Dark Knight because Dark Knight is all about characters making tough choices and and it's about it's about the characters themselves and their motivation. And this is about 
you know, the the dude with sonar figuring out he can fly and Kevin Bacon sucking energy out of the the, the nuclear reactor. I mean, it's just all these like it's like inventing kryptonite and then we build a drama around this idea of kryptonite. You know, what are these magical powers and these magical subversions to these powers? And let's make a crazy story based on that. And that sort of thing just does nothing for me. Uh, so I, I got really bored really quick and just did not enjoy this thing a- at all. Uh, and I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about that. I would much rather hear Dingus and, and you, Kelly Wan, talk about like what kind of things you appreciated in this. Uh, I, I liked the Wolverine cameo. But I, want, I wanted to say real quick, see, that sort of thing, it was also a lot of fan service, and I'm not a fan. So I see that, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I bet, I bet people who are into the X-Men love this sort of thing. But that does nothing for me. And all of these superheroes, to me, I imagine people who are into X-Men would go like, yeah, you know, the origin no. story for, for Banshee. But all that stuff, I'm like, who is this dude? And why are we watching him instead of, you know, Cyclops or Storm? Or I, well, I briefly because... I briefly thought the stripper was going to be Storm. And I was like, wow, cool. Uh, you know, we're, we're what? seeing what the, the black chick walks in and I'm like, yeah, she's going to make the lightning she's stuff. She's she she's Lisa annoying. Bonet's daughter. She's Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet's daughter. I'm pretty sure she's black. Mm. And, uh, man, she's a dead ringer for them. I didn't even know she was in this. And when she shows up, I went, are they CGing Lisa Bonet? And wasn't and, Lisa Bonet Storm, by the way, also, or no? That's Halle Berry. I'm sorry. Halle Berry. Sorry. 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 Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, bad. Okay. So, yeah, so yeah. You can you can go back That's and erase this. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Get it erased. It looks erased. just like the two of them. Yeah. I mean, and and – and when her name shows up in the credits, Zoe Kravitz, I went, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I didn't know she existed, but I remembered that Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz had had a relationship. And so it just clicked for me. But when she showed up, I was like, good Lord, she's yeah. Lisa Bonet. And she's not Storm, just so you guys know, in case you weren't clear. No, they, they show they have a glimpse of Storm at one point, but. But that's not well, that's another. Uh, so when he's first like wandering around uh, in the black and white world where the mutants are in color, I presume a lot of those are like fan shout outs. Is that what you mean? Dingus was storming there, maybe in the, the first time they use Cerebro. Yeah. OK, well, I look at you. You even know the name of it, dork. No, well, what's what's great uh, for me is that uh, this week uh, I, I tried to watch uh, um, I watched X-Men 2 and I actually watched it with my wife. Uh, and, and I also rented, uh, that goofy, uh, Wolverine Origins movie. Ah. But as we watched X-Men 2, I just, I just started giggling so much about this goofy Cerebro. That just seems like such a dopey name. I know Cerebro, you just came up with a dumb name for a, a brain device, Cerebro. Well, what a stupid name. And then, and then in this movie, uh, it's like they heard me goofing on that and they said oh, by the way this is what cerebro means dork and i really liked that i liked that little touch it's nice so you're you're a fan they're giving you fan service they they like you dingus they don't like me they served my yeah. love of words especially spanish words <laughs> x-men 2 rules and nightcrawler's attack on the white house at the beginning of that movie is awesome it's one of the greatest comic book sequences ever. so yeah like why don't we get nightcrawler instead of this azazel dude what the heck uh, what, why do we have red evil. nightcrawler Nightcrawler's evil? Dingus explain, because I don't well, you know. know I, that's the thing, is it's all fan service. This stuff, people who love X-Men or Dingus uh, would totally be open <laughs> to this. But I'm watching, why do we have Red Nightcrawler? What's, what, I don't, who's this These guy? are the, because the you saw, you saw the great X-Men originally, and this is their, this is who they have left. They're going to, like, the guys who n- no one gave a shit about. Like, so why didn't they call third, this, third, why, why didn't they call this X-Men Leftovers? Which it is. What? Well, you know. And then it all – the thing that bummed me out about it 
was how it wrapped up everything at the end to show you like, oh, see, and now nothing happened between this and the first episode. <laughs> now we're going like to go to 30 years. Right. OK, it's all on the same day. All this happened. And there were no cons. And he's and Professor X supposed to be anonymous. Didn't he say something like that? Like he had to make Rose Byrne forget about him. But like, dude, he lives in a gigantic castle that everybody. He doesn't make her forget about him. He makes her forget about where he is. I mean, she remembers. Uh, she remembers all uh, things up to a certain point. She remembers the tree. She remembers sunlight. She remembers a kiss. Um, but she can't remember where they are or, or a yeah, lot. Yeah, but it's not, I'm stuff. saying he's not exactly in a Pakistani villa. He's in like in this gigantic castle that everybody knows is who owns. I would think. Well, you can you can it's be pretty sure that he's not going to be getting around town very much. How many Xavier's do you think there are in the phone book, Kelly Wand? Come on. Three. I've looked. <laughs> uh, Dingus, go on. Okay, so what else did you like about this movie? Dingus, convince Kelly Wand that he liked this movie. I'm going to let you take over here. His Tom's uh, unconvertible. <laughs> I'm just so bored with this silly thing. Uh-huh, I can't Tom, believe Tom. you would be bored with this. I mean, this cast alone is just so fucking great. I mean, uh, I am, I you know, uh-huh. I usually have no patience whatsoever for. for for prequels, I think I think prequels are a waste of time yes. uh, because we know how the story plays out and we know what's going to happen in the relationships. Um, so so the dramatic tension, what you have to do, what you're left to do with as far as dramatic tension is severely reduced because we know everything that's going to play out. And they found a way, as far as I was concerned, to uh Totally go around that as far as far as I was concerned, especially with the relationship between um, uh, Eric and uh, Charles. And that's that's what worked for me in this movie. Uh, Michael Fassbender, man, I am I just love that guy. I am just I'm knocked out by him. And and I just thought he was fantastic in this movie and James McAvoy too and the way they worked on their relationship and built it and had this great chemistry together in creating these two superheroes that are eventually going to become enemies but aren't yet um, I, I loved all of that and yeah. I loved the way this this established their relationship and in a way that um Yes, I understand where they're going to end up because I've already seen the movies that come after this. So as a prequel, again, this is a failure, but it still kept me interested because there's still a dramatic tension for me wondering what is going to go on in this relationship and why are these guys close at all? I think the only time the movie sort of came stirred awake for me was that that empathy scene between the two of them. And I give I give most I give 90 percent of the credit. It was a well-written team, but most of the credit goes to James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender for for pulling that off where he moves the, the radar dish. That was fantastic. If there if there had been more stuff like that in the movie, I think I would have been a lot more engaged. But I loved that scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that rather than that being the only thing I like, that was just sort of a linchpin for me. That's that's that secures why I uh, I love this movie. It's not the only thing I like about it. There's many things I really like about it uh, and really love about it. Actually, I think it's I think it's a wonderful film. And that film that moment that radar dish moment where that empathy scene, as you call it, Tom, uh, where those two actors are just so good. Um, you don't normally get those types of performances in this kind of movie. And, and that's why, you know, I'm not, I have no understanding of the X-Men universe. I, I don't, I don't know any of these people who are showing up. I don't know who Havoc is or Banshee or, or 
or Chestburster, whoever these guys are. I don't know who any of them are, and I don't really care. You know, what I'm more inclined to think is is a mutant going to show up who just has a dumb power like I can make paper clips. That's all I can do. Um, <laughs> why why aren't there any mutants who uh, all I can do is mow mow the lawn with my eyes? Um, you know, I don't care about who any of them are. I don't care who we're being introduced to. I just love these relationships and I love the way they're built. I, I liked I liked uh, I really liked learning that Raven became Mystique. I liked all that stuff. I just thought it was so well put together for something that usually wouldn't interest me being a prequel. What did you think of Nicholas Holt turning into the mascot for a breakfast cereal? Uh, what I liked about that was, and, and I've since gone and watched the trailer, which ruins that moment, unfortunately. Like, you know, in the trailer that he's going to become Blueberry Bear or whatever it is that he turns into. You they see get... him become Blueberry Bear. <laughs> you see, you see like it's a, a little berry. Of... Oh, sorry. <laughs> you see him become Booberry. Uh, yes. and I didn't know he was going to become Booberry. All I kept thinking is why, why is Big Feet going to be useful to them? Okay, big feet. That's fine. And then he becomes Booberry, and I was like, "Oh, well, that plays out later on. That's how he becomes Booberry." And that, that was fine for me. I mean, I really like Nicholas Holt. I, li- I really like that actor a lot. Um, so that that was fine. I mean, I I, I like the superhero stuff, and and you don't, and that that's cool. But I, I like this stuff where this it's just mythical to me. You know, he he injects himself to try to get his feet better looking for some reason, and and then he becomes Booberry. Tom, what did you think when the stripper turned into Count Chocula? Let me tell you what the stripper did. I don't know if you guys noticed this. This is, again, one of the things where I'm bored of the movie, so I'm basically watching screens in the background. (laughs) I love that. So one of the things that the stripper can also apparently do, drive a submarine. (laughs) When we cut to Kevin Bacon on his submarine lair. She's driving it? She's she's sitting at one of those little little pneumatic handles that tilts the planes on a submarine that make a submarine dive. And I'm like, wow, Kevin Bacon lets the stripper drive the submarine. Well, Well, September Smith is doing it. Right, right. She what, what, Dingus? September Smith is doing it from somewhere else. I mean, they don't need anybody to drive that thing. It has to be a woman, though. Well, if 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 Blueberry Bear can fly the SR seventy one, I'm sure that uh, that the the non storm flying chick can drive a submarine. Uh, so I don't, so Dingus, let, let's talk about the cast because I was pretty disappointed. I thought Kevin Bacon was horrible, and I, and I say that partly from having seen Kevin Bacon play a villain in a movie called Super, and I loved Kevin Bacon in that. Different kinds of villains, of course, um, but I didn't care for Kevin Bacon in this. I I was really disappointed in uh, in Jennifer Lawrence, who I love. Uh, yeah. I, I love the the fellow playing Banshee was absolutely riveting the first time I saw him in a movie. Kelly Wand, you've seen Last Exorcism, I believe. Um, uh. Oh, you haven't? Oh. Well, so uh, I just want a quick shout out. His name is Caleb Jones. He plays the sonar dude. Um, He didn't do anything for me in this movie, but he's in The Last Exorcist. And The Last Exorcist is okay. It's a so-so movie. It kind of helps that you have to watch like the first 30 minutes or so with middling actors. And the moment, the the precise moment that Caleb Jones shows up in The Last Exorcist, that movie just springs to life. That kid is so good in a tiny little scene, and he later goes on to to be a main character in the movie. But the moment moment that he shows up in The Last Exorcist is, is where that movie grabbed me. So I like that actor a lot, but I... I was just there was nothing there was I didn't care much for a lot of the performances. Dingus, you liked the cast. Uh, how did you guys feel? Because we're all Jennifer Lawrence fans. We all love Winter's Bone. How did you guys feel about Jennifer Lawrence? Um, 
I question whether going from Winter's Bone and Atonement and Inglorious Bastards to all be in a superhero movie together is a promotion. I mean, because in all those movies, they're carrying the show and now they're competing with each other. Kind of like uh, words and art in a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dingus, did you did you think they made good use of, of for instance, Jennifer Lawrence? I mean, we, I think we all agree Michael Fassbender and, and James McAvoy did a great job. Yes. Uh, uh, secondary characters, Dingus, you, you, you thought they were used well, I presume. You know, you make a, you make a pretty good point as far as, um, Banshee, is it? Uh, yeah, because Banshee. that guy looks so interesting and I loved, I did, I had no, I don't know the last, the last exorcism, is that it? It's a, it's a found footage movie about, it's, it's exorcist meets found footage. Yeah, it's called The Last Exorcism. Okay. Well, I, I don't know him, I just, when I see him, he's just so interesting looking and he's not like a pretty boy who they looks like they harvested from the WB or something like, like Nicholas Holt <laughs> or not Nicholas Holt, who, you know, we know from single man, but, um, but, uh, the guy who, who's the chest burster guy who, who just looks like a generic sort of, ah, right. I am not, I am number four guy. <laughs> uh, and instead you have Banshee who looks interesting. He looks like an interesting character actor who, who has some other things going emotionally just by his face. And what's, what's on, what the thing is about this type of movie is there, there's so much ground to cover that they're going to put types in and, and you're going to get to do very little with your little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't care for all this. Uh, everybody's got to show their power and eventually all of these powers are going to play <laughs> off. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to get a chance. Okay. Mr. Sonar man, of course. We've oh, got we need a chest burster for this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't How see convenient. any need. I don't see any need for havoc whatsoever. Uh, I, I think he was totally a generic character and I didn't Did you know a generic Psych- actor, <laughs> but, the, but that kid you're talking about, Caleb, what's his name? Caleb Jones. Yep. Caleb Jones. Uh, I just got a feeling of uh, this is a personality. He's got a personality. He's got, he's just got something about him. And that's the way I feel about Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. It's, it's, it's not a step up from the type of performance we saw in Winter's Bone, but she does a fine job with what she gets to do in this. I mean, you're not going to get a lot to do when you've got that much for the leads to do. Mm-hmm. That's the she's not, she's not, movie. well, yeah, well, she's not the lead. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a little bit nervous. Tom, you mentioned this, I think, when we did the Thor podcast. Um, which, by the way, the same writing team from Thor worked on this. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> and uh, I think they did a great job. You didn't like them, but I think they did a great job. Um, but uh, but you mentioned sort of this idea of Avengers is just going to be sort of this mish- mishmash or whatever, this pot of uh, there's so much crap going on, we're not even going to be able to follow it. Uh, I think this this herds cats as as well as it can <laughs> um, because there's so many different things they have to. And I guess what you're talking about when you talk about fan service is that for me, uh, there's no service they have to do for me because I don't know any of these characters except for Magneto and Mystique and, um, and professor X. I mean, those are the, those are the, and when, when James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are doing such great work, that's what I'm focused on. That relationship is, is what I'm focused on and all these other ancillary things 
they fill mm-hmm. them with such good actors that it works. Well, tell okay, I want to hear you guys then talk about Kevin Bacon. What, what, how did you think he did? Because because a villain part in a conventional superhero movie, you know, whether you got Gene Hackman chewing the scenery or Jack Nicholson, or whether you have something sublime like Heath Ledger in Dark Knight, you know, villain roles are are classic places to really do some great work. Did you guys feel you got your money's worth with Kevin Bacon? Kelly Wan, do you start? Well, he's playing like a Billy Burke part, kind of, from uh, Drive Angry. So it was like him. To, I, I he was interchangeable for me. I mean, he's not bad, but I mean, I don't. Okay. I kind of agree with you about the writing. Like, the, except for the Wolverine line, there none of the and except for the empathy scene, none of the dialogue really stuck in my head favorably. So the Kevin Bacon stuff was just sort of there. Like it was the guy they had to fight, and I knew he was going to die. Um, I don't know. I Dingus didn't feel did, very strongly about it one way or the other. Okay. Dingus, how did you feel about, uh, did you get your money's worth out of Kevin Bacon? I really didn't. I mean, you know, he didn't do anything for me. Have we all seen but Super, it, by the way? I, uh, I have not seen Super, no. Okay. All right. Um, um, I, oh, didn't it's really, <laughs> I didn't get casting him, actually. Um, I didn't I understand didn't get the character it. very well either. Uh, Dingus, you went and saw it with your wife. What did your wife think of Kevin Bacon's German? I did not see it with my wife. We couldn't get a babysitter, so we went separately. Oh. And um, while I do not support texting during movies, absolutely not. I I went to see it first, and I uh, and then I said, you, you should go see this. Go see it today. I'll I'll take care of our son. You you go off to the movies. And uh, the the text I got um, while she was at the movies. Uh, I believe the exact words of her text were, hold on, hold on, let me call it up. The exact <laughs> words of her text were, uh, Kevin Bacon's German sucks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cause I, I, when that's happening, I'm like, cause, uh, so for our listeners, uh, uh, Dingus's wife speaks German, uh, and can comment on the use of German. And at the moment of that scene, again, that was one of those things like early on, it's kind of not working for me. And I'm just thinking, huh, I wonder what Dingus's wife is going to think of Kevin Bacon's German. Uh, now, Dingus, could you please, uh, tweet that, that text to our listeners? I'll be happy to. But don't you understand that that is a, um, Kate Blanchett, Hannah Choice? <laughs> no, he's no, clearly I, not. He's not supposed to be German. I mean, well, I know he's all, he, he, later on. Actually, can, fair point. Fair point. He knows Russian and uh, right, and he says he he sort of talks about the Nazis as if he's not one of them. So that is a fair point. And he oh. speaks in an American accent later on. I mean, what is what is what turns out to be a reveal? I mean, what you know, Kelly Wan jokes about this, and I think it's a fair point of of why. Um, why Eric crushes the heads of these two random dudes instead of the guy who actually kills his mom. And there's that knife, that room full of knives that he doesn't do anything with. Um, that the, the reason that we don't have an attack, you know, my, my, my question there is why doesn't he just kill the guy who killed his mom? Well, he couldn't have because the reveal becomes is, well, that guy's a mutant too. And we don't know that at the time. But but he, he doesn't know that either. Does he? Magneto doesn't know that. Exactly. Exactly. He doesn't know that. So it's kind of a cheat. But it's it's also a reveal for us later on when we find out, well, he doesn't speak German because and he's not a Nazi because he's whoever he is. He's this this mutant who stays young because of energy. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what age he is. So his bad German is excusable. Well, he right. He says, like, the energy keeps him from aging. Right. Like there's some he's like some ageless energy being, even though he's a 50 year old actor. You right. think he'd be well, younger looking? 
Well, that, that's the question that you come come upon <laughs> with, you know. Yes. And I just watched uh, the uh, the Wolverine Origins thing. Is oh. that if, if you if your if your mutation is healing, then you should just be a baby your whole life. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why is it? Why is his his development arrested as an adult, and then he's healed at that from that point on? Which I, they do I, I with, did like uh, that the one time they spend their fuck coin is with him. I <laughs> It's like, let's get Hugh in here. We'll, we'll we'll lure him in by giving him the F word for our, our one use of the F word. Uh, uh, yeah, and he's ten years older in this movie, it's 1962, <laughs> than he is in X Men One, even though it's 40 years later. Oh boy! It's like a time travel thing, like Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek. I'm guessing it's probably something like that. Now, you guys are both since you guys have both outed yourselves as huge fans of this movie to some degree or another. I have a question for both of you. Yes. Okay, That's so right. it, at the end, we've got uh, uh, Kevin Bacon wearing the magic hat so so that yeah. uh, James McAvoy can't get into his head. He's got the hat on. He's in the middle of the, the nuclear submarine. Uh, by the way, I was very pleased that no one in the course of this movie mispronounced the word nuclear. It's, again, something I was listening for. Uh, everybody pronounced it correctly. So I predict I know your question. Can I preempt it? No, no. Let me let me throw. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I it's, predict your question is why didn't Magneto you use his power to move to take the helmet off? Is that it? No, but that's a good one. <laughs> I like. I was that. wondering that. No, this with is his a, hands even. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. No, so uh, so he's he's tucked away in the nuclear submarine with his magic hat that nobody has seen yet. And uh, Azrael, or whatever that dude is named, is, is, is fighting uh, – I forget who he's fighting. He's fighting uh, Sonar Man or whatever. And, Beast. Uh, he's fighting Beast, isn't he? Right, right. He's fighting Blueberry Bear. And he's about to kill Blueberry Bear or something with his and, – and then uh, Kevin Bacon in the magic hat appears and says, Azrael, no, stop. Don't kill him. And Azrael's like, okay, cool. And he puts him down. And then, psych, it was actually Jennifer Lawrence as ah. Mystique pretending. Now, how did she know that Magneto was wearing that, that, that Kevin Bacon was wearing that magic hat? That's right. If only she'd seen him at the CIA research facility. That's a good point, Tom. What are you talking about? Oh, when he, came, when he, he didn't have them it then. Him yeah, old. he didn't have it then. Hello, dingus. The hat hadn't appeared yet. <laughs> What are you talking about? He didn't, he didn't have the hat yet. CIA attack. Yeah. yeah. Did he? Oh. He did not. He did not. That's the secret. Why James McAvoy is all like, I know he's in there, but I can't. T- I can't detect him. Why can't I detect him? What's going on? Right, right, right. That's the true. Hat, he does say that at the table battle. Right. He the goes, hat, his, right. The magic hat was his secret weapon f- to to be immune to James McAvoy head waves. Uh, so. It, you know, that's a reveal. But yet somehow Jennifer Lawrence knows to, to duplicate Kevin Bacon with the magic hat on. If I cared about this sort of thing, that would bother me. I but just then, made, I just made a note of it. battle. He can't do anything because January Jones is blocking him. So why is it January Jones blocking him the second time? Because oh, yeah, she's that's right. She's in jail. Yeah. Yeah. She's been arrested. Uh, right. Who was so, Tom? <laughs> so that's a point for me. Uh, who? What? <laughs> Okay. No, it's a point for me that uh, that I've I've just uncovered a huge plot hole in this movie. 
Uh, who? So when uh, when Jennifer Lawrence is in bed for uh, with Michael Fassbender and she's trying to seduce him, she briefly turns into someone who's not her. Was that supposed to be like some famous? Was that like Bridget Bardot or something? Who was she supposed? No, to- it's, uh, it was Rebecca Romaine who plays. Yeah, her she, in the trip. she turns into the older version of herself. Yeah. Are you serious? A totally yeah. different body type. My God. Yeah. Fan service, oh. whatever. Mm-hmm. Wait, why is she? T- oh, because he says you're too young. Yeah. Something? Oh, okay. I thought maybe she. So was- she ages herself. Fan service, Tom calls that. Well, I thought maybe she was supposed to be like Bridget Bardot or some famous starlet. Oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I thought. Okay, cool. A little historical touch. As long as we're bringing in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Tom didn't get the joke. I didn't get the joke. You're right. I totally missed it. <laughs> All right. It's weird that how come? She- Here's my question. How does she know that she's gonna look like that? Good point. How does she know she's going to look exactly the way? Like, well, I you think don't, when you're 12, how are you going to look when you're 20? I think she's obviously got some ability to see into the future, to to realize that Kevin Bacon has the head block, the head wave blocking hat, and that she's going to turn into Rebecca Romaine Stamos. So that's that'll be. Are you sure he doesn't show up with that at the CIA place? Yes, because it's only oh. afterwards that he says, "Hey, look what the Russians gave me." Because it's totally his head. That that thing looks ridiculous. He can't. He's not walking around in that. You know what? Now that you're saying that, I'm not. But I'm I'm 90 percent sure he doesn't wear it to the seventy because he uses it. He uses it to block her out. He uses it to block Emma Frost out early on. Professor X is in that battle with the CIA, so that makes me think Tom's right. Well, no, he doesn't know that Professor X isn't going to be there. I mean, he he uses that helmet against Emma Frost early on. To, to show her how it works. He said, yeah, he says the Russians gave this to me. But, but he what uses it against so Dingus, think back. So Dingus, think back to the scene where he's holding out his hand to, to the not storm stripper and where he's saying, come with me. He's not wearing the helmet. Like I'm seeing his yeah, face now. You're probably right. When he does that thing with the, the Darwin, of course the brother has to die, which is awful. Uh, when he does that thing with Darwin, where he puts the, the, right. The uh, havoc energy into his mouth. I guess you're probably right. But you know what? Maybe now that uh, Dingus has said that, maybe there is a scene where he's standing there flanked by uh, Israel and whatever, and he takes the hat off and hands it over to one side. So Dingus might be right, actually. I'm vaguely remembering a scene like that. Anyway, none of that matters. I, I just uh, I, I thought I would I would get some nerd cred by bringing up a plot hole, and I may not have. That, that may not be correct from. at yeah, all. Yeah. Right. So that's either that's but, either 100 wrong or right. Right. <laughs> Sequentially. <laughs> I did Wait, like so Tom you're so bored. Does that yeah. does Michael Fassbender um does having an actor like Michael Fassbender. I mean just just think about this. Mm-hmm. Having an actor like Mac, Michael Fassbender do that that be participant in a, a green screen sequence. I know you you're you, neither of you guys really care for CJ. But but the sequence where He's he's pulling the submarine out of the water, right? And with with everything he lends that, is that of any value to you, or or might they just as well have have gotten Michael Pare or any just crappy actor to do it, or is it valuable to you? Does it do anything for you right. to have an actor like Michael Fassbender lending what he lends to that situation? So they didn't he's not have... interacting with anything. It's him and a but, yeah, but yeah, I understand that, but an so actor. No, uh, just answer what I what Michael. So they 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 didn't have Michael Pare, but I was glad to see James Remar in there, with whom I will I, I occasionally confuse him with Michael Pare. But to answer your question, Dingus, no, it does nothing for me because that scene is about the submarine coming out of the water. 
Uh, it's not about Michael Fassbender. The yeah. scenes with Michael Fassbender, I loved the uh, avenging Jew uh, messing with the Nazis in Argentina because that's about yes. him. That's about what he's going to do. And it's not about the spectacle of a big submarine. Uh, a movie that I think most X-Men nerds hate that had a, a similar kind of that, that had a big old CG driven finale. I think it was X-Men three that had a big old CG driven finale. But the really spectacular scene was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine pushing himself closer and closer to Jean Grey and his flesh being ripped off. And that's about him. That's about the character. And you're seeing him do something. And the special effects happen to him. It's not about a giant flying submarine. So so to answer your question, no. When when it's when it's him pulling that submarine out of the water and there's shots of him sort of grunting and holding his hands out or, or whatever, no, it does nothing for me. When you see him earlier, the in the Argentina scene and certainly the yeah. empathy scene, all that works for me. But he just gets swallowed up. That that scene for me, that final scene was about the submarine and the missiles, uh, and and he just kind of got swallowed in the action. That's why I say it's like doodad driven drama you know it's about these missiles flying in the air it's about the the submarine it's about the nuclear reactor uh it's about the silly flying like i i I just thought that those flying that flying battle between sonar boy and stripper girl was just like that stuff was like silly for to me Uh, so which which do you feel more more about him pulling the submarine out of the water or yoda pulling luke's uh, ship out of the swamp ah good very good no. no, 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 no. Because for me, it makes a huge difference uh, because it lends an emotional context to this huge, uh, this huge special effects set piece, which, you know, we've talked about this before, about how um, car chases, if they're CG, mean nothing to you. And I, I understand that. And I understand how most CG things mean nothing. Mm-hmm. But but this Combined with how it's how it's kind of a callback to the earlier moment right. where where James McAvoy saves his life when he's chasing the submarine mm-hmm. um, and he can't do that and what helps him do that is the emotional connection uh, Xavier and Eric have with each other you know that rage serenity thing that that he he helps him with and they even and, provide a convenient voiceover during that moment where James yeah. McAvoy has to say remember, remember to be serene yeah so I, I understand I, I, I understand the callback dingus and I would agree with you I think if it were, were done better but for me it gets lost when it, it makes that callback so obvious that's one thing that kills it for me another thing that kills it for me is they're constantly cutting into sonar boy flying around or or blueberry bear punching something uh, they're cutting in you know the the, the sr71 is in a is in a tornado at that point you know it's just gets swallowed in so much other stuff that could have been a good moment but I think the movie just kind of buries it for me uh, and so the fact that it's Michael Fassbender and that he's very good that kind of gets swallowed for me um, wow, you know, I that's that's interesting to me. I understand what you're saying, but given what's going on in his eyes, and given how much he embodies that moment with the emotion that we've seen from earlier, mm-hmm. I mean, I can see the picture in my head of the way his face looks, and I understand what's going on. In, I mean, he's doing so much there that that moment has huge meaning for me, and then the physical spectacle of it is is more important to me and makes more of a difference. It's not just this ridiculous, you know, spaceship in midair kind of a moment. It, it actually has an emotional impact for me. And, and 
brought me to the edge of my seat. I, I love that moment because it's this great physical spectacle and, and special effects moment with what that actor is doing. So that makes a huge difference for me because if you have an actor who can't do that, who's just staring off into space, uh, uh, that's when I lose interest. And, and sure. I, so I think it's valuable to have somebody like that. And that's what was so interesting to me about this is that you have this, this film and you, you bring these actors in somehow. I don't know how you get all these people to do this, uh, who are so good and are willing to do these things. And I mean, I was just so pleased to see, I mean, I'm glad, um, that Jennifer Lawrence can do something like Winter's Bone, Michael Fassbender can do Fish Tank, and then that they'll do this too and bring just as much. I mean, especially him. This movie is his movie as far as I'm concerned. He brings oh, yeah. it here. Well, I, I think it's interesting too. That's why I think that Kevin Bacon as a kind of a flat villain doesn't surprise me because it's more about uh, the conversion of it's not a conventional hero versus villain structure. It's right. more about the conversion of Michael Fassbender's character uh, rather than having a villain. We're instead going to have this future villain and this is his conversion. You know, this is what we're going to see. And we just need a, a convenient foil to sort of stand there for a little bit and then get out of the way after, uh, you know, he kills him. Um, so and, and Dingus, you say you don't know how they got these people, but I think these are all just from a business perspective. This cast is very gettable. Like, I don't think any of them is a huge box office draw. This is these are art house actors basically being offered a great paycheck, I bet. Uh, and I, I think that's how you, you know, I'm 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 pleased uh, to see this you know. this approach being taken. It's like when Tobey Maguire was chosen to be uh, Spider-Man, you know, get talented actors who may not command a box office draw and see if they can carry a superhero movie. And I, I, I think this model has been proven, and I'm elated to see it. Because this movie would have been much worse with, like, uh, I, I, you know, people who would have made more money for it. Robert uh, Pattinson. You know, that's oh, God. Oh, God, Kelly Wand. What's out. the weird-looking guy's name? The guy with the cross-eyed werewolf guy? Todd Lautner? What's that I, name? I'm, glad, I'm, I'm proud to say I have no idea. You don't even know it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's actually a, a pretty good point, Tom. But, but when the reason I asked that question in that way is that I know that uh, I, I think in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of somebody like Michelle Williams, who I know wouldn't ah. be interested in doing this type of movie at all. She right. wants to do things like Meek's Cutoff and Blue, Val Blue Valentine. Yeah. She does not want to do this, and she's not going to waste her time doing this. She'd rather be with her kids in a farm somewhere, well, and, and she or or be doing nothing than do this. And well, she she and has so. She's done five years of like Dawson's Creek or whatever. So, I mean, she she came through that. And Jennifer Lawrence is someone who gets a, a couple of good parts and doesn't have her Dawson's Creek residuals, I guess. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to see this happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Me kid. too. Uh, but uh, but I wasn't thinking about uh, along those lines. And, you, and you're right. I mean, uh, Michael Fassbender was in has been in other semi big stuff. So for him to to take this step makes sense, I guess. Right. Right. Uh, uh, how'd you guys feel about the training montage? Ugh. <laughs> Dingus, can you defend the training montage? It did have those kind of like 60s split screen groovy things going. Uh, it is. <laughs> other, other than the empathy scene, as you've so powerfully dubbed it, which I really like, I like that. I like that uh, moniker for it. Uh, there's not really anything there that I that I care that much about. Well, the, the thing I found funny is is that there's this thing, this Leslie Nielsen thing that that um, Michael Fassbender does from time to time with uh, with Raven, where he just walks into a scene and says, 
Yeah. I wouldn't change a thing, and then walk, and then walks out the other side. Yeah. I had a feeling you were talking about something. Like he's the telepath. And he w- walks in when she's lifting weights. Hey, you should try this, and then he walks out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> he is kind of the go-to guy for uh, maybe creepily, but maybe not with bad intentions, hitting on underage girls like that. Kind of, I was like, is that, am I supposed to be maybe? Am I supposed to be seeing subtext here? That uh, come on, Jennifer Lawrence is what is she? Six, Seventeen. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. She's too lush to be Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> she did. So, she was. Um, oh, go ahead, Dingus. No, go ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to say, like, we, we had talked about in Winter's Bone how good she was, and, and Kelly Wand mentioned in Winter, Winter's Bone they didn't play up her sexuality a lot. That's not what the movie was about. So it, it was it was kind of cool to be able to just admire in a movie how absolutely beautiful she is. Uh She's she's a gorgeous girl, and I, I, you know, I wish she'd been like blue more. Like I loved that that makeup. Yeah. Like Dingus, you say I hate masks, and for the most part I do. But I kind of really like that, you know, this weird idea of her being blue with the weird red hair and the yellow eyes, and uh, like I and and certainly like seeing her in that form fitting outfit. Uh, so I just thought Jennifer Lawrence very attractive in, in this. Uh, it was nice. It's a nice change of pace from Winter's Bone. That's a bold assertion there, Tom. <laughs> now, she doesn't, so, she, Mystique doesn't. I have a, Mystique doesn't what? have nipples, right? Mystique doesn't have nipples. I could have sworn when Rebecca Romaine did it, it, she looked naked. And in this, I go, oh, she's wearing a fucking padded costume. Well, I mean, but in the comic book, like, do they make her, it's not like, like, I know in Watchmen, uh, Billy Crudup's wang was constantly visible, but in the comic, in the comic books, she's not, like, topless, right? She's got, like, it's like latex or whatever. She's got like a well, suit. Book, so they they can shade the nipples any way they want. But when you're huh. looking at it, in a, that's the whole point of this. That's what makes her character fun. But <laughs> she's, she's always na- I guess she's right? always naked though. I mean, because she's proud. Even though she when she turns into other people, she has clothes on, which I don't understand. She's, but she's she's morphing those clothes. Right. It's like the, that was, know, that was like one of the things about about January Jones. You know, if you can make that Russian dude believe you're kissing him. Then you don't really have to take your clothes off. You could just make them believe you did. Yeah, that's true. You don't even have to be in the room, do you? Yeah, really. I mean, she could be somewhere else. She could be a troglodyte for all we know. She doesn't have to look like anything. And I've the done. The fact that she done. unzips her unzips her thing, and uh, you know, speaking of taking off clothes, you know, uh, one of the things I really like that we didn't, uh, you know, I just want to sort of shoehorn in here before I ask a question of you guys, is is the way Rose Byrne when she does her convenience. <laughs> moment. The way she moves, she's so awkward, and all those other Playboy bunnies are so confident, and we're like, we're a bunch of whores, and she's sort of awkwardly moving like a doe through. But they all hit on her. Club Every guy in there. Oh, look, Bruce Byrne. <laughs> Wait, was hey, that no, I just, well, I just wanted to throw that in there. My, what about I want to bit of that bazongas somewhere. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, she's no Helen. From uh, from bridesmaids, um, Tom. Do you have Tom or Kelly? Do you guys do you have any feeling about this being set during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Do you care? Um, I was Kelly Wan mentioned like how the first part was kind of exciting, and I, I wish they played more with some of that historical stuff. But you know, if I'm going to care about doing if I'm going to care about that stuff, then it's going to bug me things like the fact that an SR-71 cannot hover. 
the radar display, for instance, they had a radar display that shows the Russian ships at the top half of the circle and the American ships at the bottom half of the circle. And at the very center of the circle, in the middle of the ocean, the little sweep line is moving around, and the one ship, the little cargo ship, is moving towards the center of the circle. What that little display fails to note is that radar emanates from a source, like one of the ships, not yeah, from the you're middle. That ship. Yeah, not for exactly. You're that ship, and here's what's around you. Not from the middle of the ocean where the ship is sailing towards. So, if I were to be invested in like the historical setting of this, then it would also bug me that it has no concept for how radar or airplanes or missiles work. Uh, so, no, nah, I just. It, and nobody oh, was smoking. It was like, oh, Jenny Jones. Oh, my God. Out. Good point, Kelly Wan. That's a very good point. Because I did notice, I was like, you know, I wish they'd let the kids, like, drink and let loose a little bit during that yeah. one party scene. But that's so right, Kelly Wan. Like, yeah, here we and are. I see you said in a casino strip club. And, and no smoking. Really? And so that, that takes me out of it. So it's like a pussified version of 19th Wow, I can't believe I didn't care. That's a very good point, Kelly Wan. But, but Dingus, did you feel that the Cold War setting added much to it? Did that do much for you? Uh, not really. It, it kind of distracted me a little bit when we would go to uh, having uh, Kennedy sound bites and then having this ridiculous Russian uh, actor thing, Tableau. Right. Uh, and then the the guys in the war room raising their hands, and the guys in the <laughs> I, I didn't really care about any of that stuff. I you know, and, and then you know having Michael Ironsides, who's for some reason billed as M Ironsides. I noticed that he's he's he, I guess he's like getting rid of his first name or something. Uh, like Prince, <laughs> which is just distracting to me. So uh, you know I I kind of like this the revisionist idea of this is why the Cuban Missile Crisis <laughs> shook out the way it did. I mean, I like yeah. some of that. Yeah, famous battle that we all... <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, so it was more distracting than anything. It just didn't bother me. It's not like... When uh, they shoot the missiles, doesn't that kind of vindicate Magneto's worldview? It's like... And then it seems like he's won the argument with Charles. Like, well, he certainly see, has. The, the problem is who yeah. Charles is. It's not that. Sure. But, I mean, I don't know. I always thought Magneto had some good ideas about killing everybody. And this was supposed to be a Magneto movie originally. Oh, really? It was going to be just like Mag young Magneto? Yeah. So all those ah. awesome murder scenes would have been, it would have been like a Punisher movie, like a Nazi hunting. Ah. Movie. And it would have been this awesome Michael Fassbender solo effort that I would have loved to have seen. I think we have enough of that. I think it is a Magneto movie, but it's not just mm. Munich. I mean, uh, I I like that aspect of it that he goes to. I love I love that Swiss banker scene. I love yeah. that Argent the Argentinian scene that Tom's talking about is is one of my favorite scenes yeah, in the film. I agree. And then I started but, missing that stuff later <laughs> a lot. Like, God, where's that vibe? Well, not me. For what's great about it is, for me, wh what you have to do is sort of cast forward and realize that he becomes Kevin Bacon's character. He becomes, I can't remember, Doctor, whatever his name is, Seth Shaw. Sebastian Shaw. How can you forget Sebastian that? Shaw. That's such a comic book name. Because I don't know any of these people. But he becomes, he, he eventually becomes that as we get to X-Men 3. Um, but here, he's, he's sort of trying to, or not trying to, he's, he's, between those two worlds he's he's not charles he's more in the in the world of vengeance but he's not uh going to eradicate all humans the way that um that sebastian shaw wants to and then he'll eventually become that 
I mean, that's what's that's what's great about this is that you don't have all of this murder from from his point of view because this is eventually what he becomes. And not eventually though. He does it in an instant at the end of the movie, just like in fucking episode three when Anakin <laughs> yeah, is yeah, like, all right, uh, yeah, and it's like another prequel. It's a, it's like an Obi Wan Anakin dynamic. Like, oh well, yeah, well, I'm the I'm the one who always makes the right decision, and you're my troubled friend who is constantly <laughs> saying red flags, but I'm gonna. Get keep <laughs> pretending I don't hear you. All right, well, Kelly wins. All right, I hated it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it was so easy. All of a sudden, I remember all those Padawans being murdered. Yeah. Or yeah, kids. Padawans, murdered whatever. kids. Yeah, when Anakin murders kids, it's it's terrible. And But when the... the well, first Michael of all... Ironside murders kids. First of all, they're not kids. They're, they're younglings. And second of all, it's not Michael Ironsides. It's M. Ironsides. Who, hey, by the way, he's a real uh-huh, we got Tom to admit he knows what the younglings are. Good job. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, also, I, Michael Ironsides, I thought in this movie, he had the Chris Elliott role that Chris Elliott yeah, has in the Abyss. Yeah. <laughs> All right, turn that spanner. <laughs> yeah, he stands on a boat and Binoculars. looks at things. Yeah, they, binoculars down, looks grave. Yeah, they, they, brought, they brought in a second unit crew and they just set up a and fake window. Dude, the whole last half hour is like that. It's he also had my favorite predictable line. No, <laughs> please say it. I can't wait. Let's hear it. Uh, what's the what's the setup line? Uh, God, is it God help us all? I, I, I just remember the the Russian setting up the line, or, or one of his his henchmen, or not his henchmen, one of his officers saying the line, and then Michael Ironside's just going, "God help us all." No, doesn't he? I thought I thought you were going to do the uh, gentleman. It's been an honor serving with you. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was my favorite one. And then the Russian says the same thing because we're yeah. all alike, you see. Right. All that's what the Cold War was all about. Dude, 1962, that's totally how it was. Just like in Pearl Harbor when the Japanese go, would they like attack Pearl Harbor, but like they're kind of like not, they're kind of like, oh, waking a sleeping giant. Wow, you, you brought up Pearl Harbor. Uh, I noticed, by the way, the music had a very strong Thin Red Line soundtrack vibe. That was used heavily in the Pearl Harbor trailer. God, you are a nerd. I know. Thank you. Not a comic book what nerd. A- I'm a soundtrack nerd. Did you what like the music? No, no, not really. Did you, Dingus? The guy who did the yeah, it's the guy who did the kick-ass music. I really liked it. The Hives. No, Henry Jackman. Stop it. <laughs> Henry Jackman, who played Wolverine, of course. Yeah. Oh, good point. Did you guys notice? Oh, this I wrote even in my notes. John Dykstra, no, oh, 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 exclamation point. Did you notice that John Dykstra, I didn't realize, I guess he's doing CG stuff, but John Dykstra did all these great um, uh, practical effects for, for Star Wars, and, uh, like, he has a, a long tradition of, of using, like, models and stuff and for spaceships. Uh, he's doing CG stuff now. Did you guys know that? Mm. No, but how can he, that did. if he wants to get work, he's going to have to. I mean, why would you say no? Well, because I don't know. He was doing all these. I don't know. Because I hate I CG. Models. Yeah. 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 Models are way well, better. And- well, they're better, but they're they're much more expensive. So that's why they're better. A lot of things are more expensive. Well, good. If if that guy who's super talented wants to get work, he's going to have to do this kind of thing. No, why don't they just? How dare you? How dare you say no? <laughs> <laughs> that's what Darth Vader said in uh, Empire Revenge sequel prequel movie. Do not want. <laughs> One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, beat upon my free, getting down with three, the peak, everybody loves all the time. La, 
la. All right. <laughs> Glad we all disagreed. That was that was nice for a change. I thought I won because Dingus capitulated. He did. Dingus Dingus was the chamberlain of this uh, particular confrontation. Yeah. Wilt Cha- Walt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> Neville. That's Neville to you. Oh, Neville. Sorry. Let's do a three by three. Ugh. Ah. Oh wait. Yeah, it's yours, Kelly Wand. What do you think of that? Mm, I'm excited for reasons you already know. I- I'm excited to find out the twist. <laughs> we we know. So Kelly Wand, what is this three by three? And and I'm assuming it's on your list. But uh, confess, you did this. I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna give it away. You did this just so you can talk about one movie. But I want you. I want you to. I want to. I want to tell you. That's a perfectly viable way to come up with a three by three. Is just think of a movie you want to talk about. Think of a category that that can involve two other movies. That's a three by three. So well, Kelly, Wand, pattern, I think you I think you've done a wonderful job here. I just want to say. Well, then I just think of two other ones, which took me. Kelly, I'm gonna let you finish. But Tom, did you did you know? Because you laughed so hard when he mentioned this category that I was confused. Did you know what he was doing? <laughs> yeah. Dingus gets confused when I someone laughs at something I say. It's perplexing. It's not that. It was Tom's laugh was so knowing that I spent the week going, "What am I missing? This is all a joke for me." Well, you're about to. You knew. Yeah, you're about to find out if you haven't figured it out. So, Kelly, one, tell us. Let's let's. We've got everyone in suspense. What is the three by three this week? Uh, three best weddings in movie history. Okay. Uh, and. Is the movie I'm thinking? Well, you know what? We'll find out. There's a movie I'm thinking of that I know you want to talk about, and I'm thinking that's why you picked this three by three. Yeah, we'll it's on my out. list. Okay, so, so uh, Dingus, you're doing next week's three by three. So why don't you start us off with your third bestest wedding in a movie? All right. Uh, if you want this man, take his hand in yours. Uh, Good night, run. So a no. wedding oh. vow is a quote. Interesting. I wonder how many of those he's got. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that one. What is that? Um, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea what the heck you guys are doing with this category. I'm totally. I have totally. You're gonna find out. You are gonna find out. You'll be disappointed when you find out. You'll go. No, he's not gonna be disappointed. I think he's gonna be irked. He will be irked. Not disappointed. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's angry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, I usually find wedding scenes really annoying in movies Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just a, a room full of strangers. Uh, who are supposed to be family, and they're all looking at each other, sitting in the right. eyes. We're all extras, and we're trying to get our face in the frame. Um, and and it's, the, it's usually the culmination, and it's this really artificial culmination moment. And I, uh, blah. It's when something dumb always happens, too, in a romantic comedy. Like, all the wedding guests, the wedding gets interrupted, and then all the guests pretend, like stare at the person who interrupts, like, oh, wait, you're going to give a speech about how much you love her? I better be quiet. Watch, but it's it's in the in the worst way. It's just this this uh, placeholder moment for climax. You know, we got we we had the climax in the movie. Now we're just this is here. You guys get to see a wedding, and it's always it's always more expensive than the people could have possibly afforded. And and but but as I thought about this, I realized well that's what real weddings are. It's, it's yes. filled with strangers. Yeah, I, I didn't know a lot of the people at my wedding. Uh, it's more expensive than I could afford, and that was true too. Um, so I realized that they're both staged events. The the most weddings in a film are. You know, everything in a film is staged, but it feels staged. It feels like a staged event when a when a wedding is in a film. So 
and in real life, when you have a wedding, it feels like a staged event. So uh, I, I sort of got to be fine with it. Um, anyway, the, the, so I, I chose kind of ones that were smaller and weirder. Um, and this one is from a, a big movie, but it's a, a, it's a goofy small wedding. And, uh, and so it's from a, a little movie called Dances with Wolves. Oh Jesus! Oh God! Thank God! What is he doing? <laughs> he's done this troll to us before. Alert. I know he, he does it every week. He's, he's he was always mad at us, but he's the worst troll. If you think about well, it. Well, and he loves bringing up dances with wolves. I know. All right, so tell us about the scene. I didn't remember there was a wedding. I remember a dog in that movie. I didn't remember a wedding though. A dog. <laughs> uh, all right. This is when um, this is when uh, dances with wolves. Uh, Mary's uh, stands with a fist. Um, and it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's not an authentic, um, Lakota wedding. Uh, it's sort of, it sort of messes with Lakota traditions in the, in that you're not, you're not like having a plural wedding or just a simple, you know, the bride's price is being paid, although that, that happens in the scene before that. Um, and there's a little bit of sort of a, uh, a Christianization of the wedding a little bit as the, as the, um, as uh, I think Kicking Bird uh, takes the bride, uh, sort of leads her down the aisle, the quote unquote aisle. Um, but but what I what I what I like about this is that uh, it's this little ceremony where um, they've just decided that they're going to be husband and wife. That and so what happens is that Kevin Costner's character has to give uh, his bride price to. Um, to kicking bird and if if that's accepted then they can have a wedding and the wedding is pretty much her being delivered and and then uh him saying these are the these are the duties of a sioux uh husband and as he's as uh kicking bird is giving this speech which is the wedding ceremony um kick uh dances with wolves and stands with a fist are just standing there i know you're giggle giggle uh <laughs> kevin costner and mary mcdowell are just standing there looking at each other and there's a voiceover of, uh, of him talking about uh you know as as he talked all he could think about were the you know the little parts of her the little details of her costume the contours of her body um he's just lost in her and and then the wedding's over and and then they basically say did you hear everything i said yes okay she's your wife and that's it. That's the wedding. And it's just this beautiful moment of two people in love who have not been able to be together. And the only way they can be together, the only way they can be together is with a tribe sanctioned wedding. And this is the wedding. And it's just a beautiful little moment. Dingus, how many times on average do you watch Dances with Wolves in a given week? Nude. Um, we, if you if you say a week, do you mean Sunday to Sunday or how do you, what do you mean by week? He's always watching it. It's on him right now. That's why he's distracted. Yeah, you know how you watch, um, like, you'll have an extra laptop showing, like, a random horror movie all the time? <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. Dances with Wolves and Midnight know. Run. I have two laptops, one showing Dances with Wolves, the other showing Midnight Run. <laughs> okay. And uh, then on opposite weeks, I put Hudson Hawk on. Okay. Kicking Bird? Keep him that's, that's someone's name, Kick, Kicking Bird. Wow. Yeah, it's it's author Graham Greene's name. That's a terrible name for an Indian. It's a terrible name. <laughs> All right, so um, go, no, go ahead, Kelly Wand. I I'm guessing I did not read it. You're going to ask me about some fantasy novel. No, did you read Lonesome Dove or any of those books? Uh, no, you did loan it to me once, and that's one of the the few books you loaned me that I don't even think I tried to read. I'm afraid. Oh, no, it's got a good opening. It's got blue pigs in it. 
like uh, Blueberry Bear. All right, spoiler for X-Men. Uh, all right, so uh, my number three is a uh, it's a cartoon, so it kind of doesn't count. Um, but what I like about this is that the wedding is a very small scene in the beginning of the movie. And the movie is about people going through transitions in their lives and how they have to change after that transition and the the movie is about a family and it opens with a little bitty scene of the wedding and then the rest of the movie is how they adapt to family life after being married uh and what's great about this wedding scene is that it's a reveal it's a little surprise what's also great about this wedding scene is that the dialogue delivers the point of the movie in the context of the character accidentally answering his wedding vows. So I'm going to give you the line, and it'll, it will then reveal what the movie is. The groom has showed up for the wedding, and he's running a little bit late. And he runs in at the last minute, and he's like, I'm sorry, I had something to catch up with. And the wife is there, and she's like, you know what? You, I, you need to be on time more. And he's like, I was really busy. And she says to him, if you want to make this work, you have got to be more than Mr. Incredible. Don't you know that? And he says, and he says to her, "I do." Just as the preacher has just said, "Do you take this woman as your as your uh, wife?" So it's the it's the little scene in the beginning of The Incredibles where you you see Mr. Incredible has met Elastigirl in the context of fighting a crime, and they had this little flirty line about, "Hey, what are you doing later?" And she rebuffs him, and she's like, "I have plans." So you think, "Oh, you know, he likes the superhero chick," uh, and she's turning him away. So. Uh, you know, that's that's not going to happen, but oh, they're, they're cute together. And then it turns out the plans are they're getting married. And, and the rest of the movie is about superheroes then trying to lead a normal life and adapt to family life. Uh, and I just love the way that that wedding is just a nice little early button to, to sort of show that. Uh, so there you go. My number three is The the Wedding and the Incredibles. What's that, Kelly Wand? They showed the wedding in that movie? I don't remember yep. Yep. So it's uh, Mr. Incredible has to like uh, after he has his little initial encounter with uh, Jason Lee, he's running late for his wedding. And then he he drives up to a church and he goes in and there's Elastigirl at the at the altar waiting for him. Huh. What? Do, are you wait. hating? Are you hating on the Incredibles, by the no, way? No, I love the Incredibles. So OK. Wait. Uh, see, there's a 60s movie, by the way. Yep. It's good. Yep. I mean, like and, a, and a superhero movie too. Like I don't. I normally superhero movies do nothing for me, but I, I love and that. And where all the powers actually do complement each other. And like, yeah. Uh, anyway. And they're they're all they're all the powers are character development stuff. You know, I mean the, yeah. the teenage girl who's invisible and the the hyperactive kid, uh, the mother who has to overextend herself, and the father who's has to be really tough and manly. Yeah. All that stuff happens in X Men. Stop it. So when Mr. Fantastic gets in a God, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> we can't believe I just did what? <laughs> you just tried to make a distinction as if they're... Oh, stop it. Never mind. Go ahead. Move on. Nobody knows what you're talking about, Dingus. <laughs> whatever, fine. Whatever I did, it worked. So there. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Are you hating on The Incredibles, Dingus? You better no, not be. No, it's one of my favorite movies. But the idea that somehow those powers are more complementary than the things that happen in the X-Men is a little bit silly. You're right. Uh, move on. <laughs> nice try, Dingus. No one's buying it. Uh, That's a good point. I didn't, where's I didn't where's mean the Ice to. Man? Hey, where's the Ice Dude? Hey. I love it when I instigate him over. these things. And then I just sit back and listen to you two bitches. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so relaxing. It See, been- that's what they want to do, Tom. They want to get us to fight against each other. Yeah. <laughs> 
Dingus I'm never Sebastian forget. Shaw. Dingus is the Magneto, and you're the Charles. You know, this podcast is somewhere between Rage and Serenity. Wait, Tom's the Magneto. No, I, you know what? Never again. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Because I love not only uh, Zionist rallying cries used in the service <laughs> of superhero stories. I love that. Boy, I think that's that's awesome. Uh, when you were first talking about this being the beginning of an animated film that shows an image of a wedding, that's not where I thought you were going. But I'm glad I, I'm glad you did because uh, I love The Incredibles. I absolutely love it, and I I'm really annoyed that I didn't remember the lava scene. I, I will always hate myself for not using the lava scene from The Incredibles. Oh, that's right. Yeah, stuff I used. That's so it's, that's that's fine. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of that in Up. Like, Up doesn't linger on the wedding as much, but there's that whole idea of let's show this passage of life. But there, there's, there is, like in, uh, in The Incredibles, this clear sense of, you know, the wedding marks their transition into, and it actually goes into, you know, it then cuts after the wedding, and we get little newsreel footage, and then it opens with them in domestic life. Uh, I kind of think it's just a joke, uh, but, you know, it's fine. Well, but that line, I mean, when, when Holly Hunter says, if you want to make this work, you've got to be more than Mr. Incredible. That's kind of the point of the movie, is that making a family work is being more than just a superhero. Like, like that, that's something that even a superhero has to work at. Uh, and I love, you know, that, that's like a, this is a dirty word, a dirty term, but Incredibles is one of the best family values movies that, that I can think of. Uh, you know, family values is a dirty word these days. It's a damn oh, that's, that's, kind of, that's actually good two points. Words. You know, my my pushback is going to be that Kelly's uh, category is best weddings, and that's right. not really the best wedding, but but that's fine. What what you just did with with family values, I like that. Well, it's the best wedding in that I think it's it's a little wedding scene where you, you talked before, Dingus, about how yeah, normally it's the climax and something wacky is going to happen at the wedding, but here it's a wedding scene that lays out the point of the movie. You know, it's because in the context of answering his vows, he also answers her question. His response to that is, I do. And he's saying that to her, and it just also happens to be the point of his vows. Like, I love how just The Incredibles is so well written. You know, when those guys at Pixar and Brad Bird, when they hit, they really hit. And I think that that using the wedding scene the way it's used in The Incredibles makes it, you know, specifically as a wedding scene, very special. Uh, so I'm standing by that. But it's no right. dances with wolves. To say. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, what's your number three? What do you got to come to stack up next to Dances with Wolves and The Incredibles? Uh, hey, does it strike? Did Herbie the Love Bug ever get married or have uh. sex with another car? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hear Dingus say, make that noise. I love. <laughs> also, uh, so why don't you guys know? I, I watched Five Hundred Days of Summer this week, so you can make references to it now. Because you're you seeing your uh, Valentine yet? No, because it wasn't on for on my cable that night. But I also it's watched it. Vampires Suck and Five Hundred Days. Okay, my number three wedding best ever is um, the one from African Queen. Although I also thought that marriages conducted when you think you're about to die shouldn't count if you survive. Because <laughs> you get take backs. Yeah, you get a mulligan because there's nothing in a wedding vow about life and death. Like they don't mention that in the wedding vow. So African Queen is Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart on a boat, right? Yeah, and the Nazis are gonna kill them, and then what? Deus Ex Machina. There's Nazis. There's Nazis in African Queen? Yeah, they're diamond Nazis or something, right, Dingus? You're the Humphrey Bogartist. Uh, it's Rommel. He's his tanks are riding through that river. 
Yeah, it's the Amazon. Okay. The African Amazon. I know you guys have no idea what you're talking about. So there's a wedding, though, in... One, at least uh, one of us does it. <laughs> and I'm not counting Dingus as talking yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then they think they're going to die, and then they get married. But it's just like the Nazi ship captain. Also, too, if a, if a Nazi marries you, does that count? Anyway, that's my third best wedding I could think of. All right. I'm glad. I think I satisfied the prerequisites of the category. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is your number two favorite wedding? Because <laughs> it was a wretched, it was like a wretched brief, like, hey, let's just get married because we're going to die and the Nazis are going to shoot us. I like that. Well, I was actually trying to think of things like that that were sort of cursory weddings, and I couldn't remember. Yeah. Just, Last... we have to get married. Let's do it real quick. We're on a, Pulse... we're on a... We're on a spaceship or something, and uh, you know, or we're in the we're in the wilderness. So I like that. I I don't remember that at all, but you know, that, that's I like that. And they're both like wretched. They've just been they're like all wounded, and tweaked out because they've been fighting Nazis and getting rained with locusts and stuff for the whole movie. And he's all like fifty and smoking, tired. <laughs> um, it's awesome. That's how I want to be married, Dingus. When you divorce Wendy for me, okay. <laughs> That's my number three. There's no <laughs> weddings in 500 Days of Summer, but if there was, it does have Chloe Moritz though, so I'll I'll take that over a, a an ill-conceived wedding scene any day. She Good swears point. in that too. She's like hit hit girl giving him advice. Quit being a pussy. Yeah, that's a great character. Just, yeah, it's really great advice. If she if he just did whatever she said, he would be. God, I hate but that. Autumn was hotter. What? You don't like that movie? I hate it so much. You don't like 500 Days of Summer? I hate it. Wait, you don't like that dance he did? That's kind of good. Yeah, I like that. I think that dance is great. I like the people in it. I think it's a horrible movie. Aw, Sorry, I'm in the minority. A lot of people love it. A lot of people think X-Men's awesome. (laughs) Touche. That's my number three, African Queen and Herbie the Love Bug. Be sure to put that in the scrolls, sacred scrolls, Mm -hmm. as is written, so let it be done. So over to you, Dingus. What is your number two? Uh, my number two <laughs> is a movie I'm not particularly fond of, but I really, really love the wedding scene. Um, and it's a movie called Rachel Getting Married. Uh, it's from 2008. It's directed by Jonathan Demme. Um, and what I like about it is is that it it defies the the things I was talking about before of this really posh, beautiful wedding with a bunch of strangers who are in it's far more expensive than you can imagine. Cause this, this wedding and, and Rachel getting married looks like a bunch of people who all know and love each other or who are getting to know and love each other and have some sort of basis of relationships crammed into a small room. And, uh, it just feels off the cuff. You know what? I don't, I, I haven't seen Rachel getting married in a long time. And, and I, what I didn't like about it was that it feels a little bit of that faux, um, documentary style filmmaking by a director who's who's beyond that, but is is trying that out. Uh, but the wedding itself, uh, and plus, I, I just saw Anne Hathaway in another movie this week, and I just I love her. I think she's so good, and she's she's. This is the first time she really sort of stretches. I think the first time I saw her stretch beyond some of those Disneyish things that she was doing. <laughs> Uh, like like and, Brokeback Mountain, for instance. I'd like to see her stretch past your Disney, whatever. <laughs> um, but but the the thing with the uh, the way the 
the wedding is carried off the way the the minister sort of is very off the cuff about things like does anybody have the ring and in particular my favorite moment is when the the guy playing sydney who's the groom sings his vows and it, it feels very much like he's singing his vows in lieu of saying saying vows that he might have come up with then he sings um is it un- i think it's unknown legend by neil young uh, and it's and he just he just sings it. It's a cappella. There's no other music in the scene. There's not this overarching score. There's not fast zooms of of Anne Hathaway feeling bad in the background. It's him. He's kind of an awkward actor. I think he's he was in a band. Um, the, the guy's name is uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Tundeata Benpei, something like that. And I apologize if I messed it up. But I love him singing the vows. I love the the reverend, the minister going, um, okay, Sydney, do you? <laughs> he says, I do. And then he says to Rachel, do you? <laughs> she says, I do. And when Sydney says, thank you for marrying me, it, as part of his vows before singing, she says, you're welcome. It, it just has this sweet ebb and flow, and the feeling of the crowd is that they're really reacting spontaneously to what's going on in the wedding. It feels like this group of people in a small room that couldn't afford a big wedding having this moment. And I really like like Rachel's getting married. I didn't like the movie very much, but I really like that wedding scene. Hey, wait a minute. You can't go on and like diss the movie like that after you've held up the wedding. Yes, I started with saying that I, I'm not a big fan of the film overall, right. uh, but that wedding scene is great. Oh, I shall- love the movie, but I hate the wedding scene. <laughs> Well, I love the movie and the wedding scene, so there. All right. All right, we've got all our bases covered. Good. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand, you haven't Listeners, even, you're welcome. <laughs> you haven't even seen Rachel getting married, Kelly Wand. No, I don't see movies that tell give away that there's who gets married in the title. What about Margot at the Wedding, Kelly Wand? Have you seen that one? Uh, dude, if the wedding's in the title, I'd never But it's it. not. But here's the deal. It's not Margot's wedding. What do you think of that? Uh, it's like waiting for Godot, the wedding. <laughs> Huh. Uh, Margo at the wedding you would like because it's Noah Baumbach and I think you like him. Yeah, I do. I don't think there's <laughs> an actual, there's not an actual wedding there in that though, is there? There's an awesome divorce in Squid and the Whale. Is think is, is there a wedding at Margo at the wedding? I don't think there is. Is there? Uh, I don't think so. And actually, I, I feel bad because I wanted to see that again this week because you've been bugging me to see that again, uh, and I was suspicious of whether or not there was, but yeah, I the, think there is. I don't think there is. I think the wedding gets interrupted. That's the movie I thought Rachel getting married was when Dingus started gibbering like an animal. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that didn't come out wrong. <laughs> no, I take it as a compliment. All right, good, good. Uh, my number. Right? Two, I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow my number two from another three by three, which was uh, pregnancy reveals. Ah. So I'm using the wedding at the end of Sideways for, for my number two because you don't actually you don't even see the wedding. Well, I guess technically the wedding is still all the stuff that happens on the, the steps of the church afterwards. Um, but Miles is so removed from everything that's going on. I mean, he's such an outsider in the wedding and the wedding. The, the scene kind of makes that point is he's he's miserable being there. You know, he runs into his ex there. That's the pregnancy reveal scene. Uh, but I just love what an alien he is for the, the sort of the essential drama of the wedding and uh, that scene in, uh, in Sideways. So that's my number two. I don't remember a wedding in Sideways. There wasn't one. Oh. The whole thing's, no, the whole thing's leading up to a wedding. You guys don't know. There's a wedding. Oh, 
and a reference to ostriches. Two things that most people forget about sideways is that both of those things are in there. Oh, so it's like waiting for Godot, but wedding theme. <laughs> oh, dingus. Dingus is typing what you uh, just said, right? As, yeah, I'm getting it all down right now. As all listeners should be. <laughs> Kelly, yeah. what is your number two favorite wedding from a movie? Don't, don't students get college credit for listening to this podcast? They do. And money. Anyway, and knowledge, obviously, except this one, this particular podcast kind of backwards but uh my number two best wedding ever is the wedding from my favorite movie going south (laughs) remember i don't actually remember that wedding but i like it because it's really short um unlike a real wedding and also i remember uh christopher lloyd's like the asshole gunfighter guy and someone throws rice at him and he gets he he looks really angry for a second that was funny but anyway uh were you guys Jack just Nicholson. totally trolling me with this? What were you? What the? F- trolling you with what? He's already upset. You hear the? Upset. We haven't even gotten to Kelly Wan's number one, and he's yeah. Upset. I know. <laughs> I, he's not, I feel like I've been, I feel like you guys collaborated to whatever dances with wolves, guy. <laughs> Wait, how would we have collaborated? Would you? Would it collaborated how? Never mind. Let's come up with a category that we we'll have to think about, and we're just gonna fuck around with. Oh, thinking. Oh, I have to think about weddings. Me and Tom, weddings are really exotic because you've had a real wedding. Dingus, are you maintaining that going south is not a good pick or something? Yeah, what a dick. What did did Kelly Wan just say? I don't remember ever seeing it, and I chose it because it's really short. I think that's what he just said. He was talking about the wedding. I I don't think. Kelly Wan, you've seen going south, right? The Jack Nicholson thing and Mary Steenburgen, that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Have you not seen it, or did Dingus just make that up? Because I didn't think that you said that. I don't yeah. know what Dingus is saying, really. All right, my mistake. I think he was saying the wedding scene was really short. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's trolling. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I don't. I don't remember. I remember that what everything I just said. Jack Nicholson, Mary Steenburgen is all I remember about going south. They get married. Well, because he's gonna get hung. Because he's uh, hanged. A criminal, hanged. He's gonna get hanged. <laughs> He's hung or he's not. I mean, he's pretty well hanged, the character, (laughs) and not the actor. So that's because this makes it sound like a a a setup for like a sitcom. So so he's a condemned man who who has to get married to get out of it, (laughs) and and shenanigans ensue. Okay, seems like more of a sitcom premise than Private Benjamin, which they did make a sitcom. (laughs) How would it rank next to uh, Petticoat Junction or Mash? No one got married on those shows except Hot Lips. She married Donald Penobscot. But, so, uh, uh, so Jack Nicholson has to marry Mary Steenburgen uh, to the avoid Mork being. Mindy wedding was pretty epic. What was epic? Mork and Mindy got married. <laughs> That's gross. That's gross because they're brother and sister. And it's usually the sitcom things like when they have the baby. That's when oh, we got to go to a motorcycle, jump the shark. Uh, so, does Mary Steenburgen not want to marry Jack Nicholson? No, no, she needs him to work on her gold mine. Ah. So she's like busting him around. He basically becomes her slave, and they never have sex. And he's like, which is weird. It, I thought, was, gee, what's t- since he's going to get hanged and he's a criminal, like you'd think she'd be a little worried about just getting raped and killed and then him leaving town. But I guess he's too dumb to think of that, so it works out. And then they love each other, or they don't. John Belushi's in it. 
No. Guess, so far, so... these are your favorite weddings that happen to people who are about to be killed. Yeah. Shotgun oh. weddings. Yeah, but not, not his number one, though. His number one. These are the weddings. Yeah. Right, right. The wedding. These are weddings that made an impression on me. And it, I was like researching movie weddings online, like in preparation, and they were no help because they were all written by women, and they were all like, "Oh yeah, the wedding singer, the wedding wedding, the wedding wedding movie." What about oh, yeah, big fat wedding Greek wedding? Picture. Did big did big fat Greek? Yeah, movie? that was on there. Yeah. I know. It's like every movie with wedding in the title is on there. Like, oh, what about just... what about Father of the Bride? That's not that, that was on there. The what about what about a... Runaway Bride? Is Runaway Bride on there? Oh wait, we might be scooping Dingus's number one, by the way. Yeah. Damn it, Tom. Don't... Yeah, don't say anything. See, Runaway Bride, she keeps doing it. She does it three times, but they keep hitting him with the newspaper. Don't don't scoop Dingus's number one. He might bring that up. He loves Richard Gere. Father of the Bride, the remake, and the original were on one list. That's how boring movie weddings are. <laughs> Well, those are, those are movies about weddings. Like we, I don't. I mean, we are bringing up movies that are about more than weddings, except for Dingus, who's trolling us with Rachel getting married. Yeah, and Dances with the Wolves. Jesus. <laughs> Could have at least done the Goodfellas, but no, he gives the Oscar to the other movie. No, I'm going to actually instead of uh, Dances with Wolves, I'm going to put one of my um, runners up in that slot. Oh, Crash! The wedding from Crash. The like. <laughs> uh-huh. gotcha. So, oh, wait, uh, back of the Clones wedding. So, Kelly Wan, that was your number two, if I'm not mistaken. So I think we are now on to our number one, our favorite weddings. Wedding ever. Yeah. So, uh, Dingus, I I can't wait for yours, Kelly Wan. But, Dingus, what is your number one? What is your most favorite wedding in all of moviedom? Wait, is Kelly done talking about going south? Kelly Wan, do you have more? Did I cut you off? Uh... I think that answer is... Quite nicely. So, Dingus, what is your number one favoritist wedding? Uh, uh, this is going to be real easy because I'm not going to talk about this at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I love this movie so much, um, and it's got a ah, it's got a great wedding, um, and it has the mo- has the word wedding in the title. And um, I'm not going to talk about it that much because I don't think either of you have seen it, and I really think you should. And it's on Instant Watch right now, and I think you'll like it. Uh, it's called After the Wedding. It's a 2006 uh, Danish movie by the director Suzanne Beer. Oh, um, and I love her. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing, and it has Mads Mikkelsen in it, and he is awesome. And that's really I I don't want to say anything else about this. I just want you to see it. <laughs> it's on Netflix right now. Wow, and it is a phenomenal wedding. And uh, expect, uh, especially considering what Tom has to say uh, about sort of how we can consider what what wedding encompasses in a movie. So uh, I I don't want to talk about it. I I think the things that I like about this wedding, the things that make it my favorite wedding in a movie are things that you should discover as you watch it. So it's called After the Wedding and you should watch it. How did you get time to watch something like that? What do you mean? He's a stay-at-home dad. He has nothing but time. When did you see this? He's like, well, I've seen. Guy. I saw it months ago. I mean, I saw it a long time ago. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody on the forum mentioned how great it was. I don't, I don't know. And so I, I saw it, and I told, I told you. Oh, about you it. know what? It was a movie club pick, wasn't it? It might very well have been. I, oh, I don't okay. remember that, but I remember uh, a year ago talking to you about this and saying, I think you should see it. And I was a little uh, ambivalent at the time, and then I saw it again. Uh, this week, just 
and and it wasn't something that I considered. I had a, a list of things that I was going through and thinking, ah, oh, yeah, this is okay, this is okay. And then when I was writing up something else today, I suddenly remember, why didn't you think of that? And I and I watched it again. It's just, oh man. Uh, so after the wedding, uh, right. I, I don't have anything else to say about the wedding in it. I just think it's uh, it's a great film wedding. Well, I just think that you should have told me it was Suzanne Beer earlier. Right? <laughs> You're right. I should have said that. Okay. I apologize. Uh, my number one. So I haven't seen this in forever, and I'm a little shaky on remembering it. But you guys are going to have to help me with this. Uh, how how long has it been since you guys have seen Deer Hunter? Oh, that's a great wedding. Because it's the whole like it's the first. 45 minutes yeah, of the, yeah. the movie and there's no like exposition where like and here's this character who has a snappy line to this character and then they're going to go to this scene it's just like michael chimino actually had a i want to say is it a polish wedding but it's some great big like isn't it like some polish neighborhood in pittsburgh or am i making that it must up? be because they're from pennsylvania i haven't yeah. seen deer hunter in many many years but it's it's pennsylvania yeah, and it's that Definitely. right, right. It's like a steel, t- and it's it's just that the whole. It's like forty five minutes or an hour, or whatever, of just all this stuff happening, and it's like the camera's there. It's got a kind of a Rachel, it's a wedding, uh, Rachel getting married vibe to it in a way. The wedding's not as funky and cool, uh, but it's just you're you're just seeing all this stuff happening, and the, you know the characters aren't introduced conventionally; they're just there. Uh, and it goes on and it, it gets it gives this sense of this group of friends and it just goes on and on and on for, like I said, it must be at least 45 minutes. And then there's that famous smash cut to the, you know, the, them in Vietnam with a flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. my favorite for just how it sets the scene. Uh, it just sets the camera up at uh, this long ethnic, I guess it's Polish or whatever, wedding and then just cuts us out of it straight to, to Vietnam. Uh, did you watch uh, that no i didn't and i meant to uh but i i do not own uh deer hunter i'm not sure if it's on instant cue instant watch who's for... getting married it's meryl streep's getting married to john john voight isn't it no, no it's, that's um... john hurd it's john hurd isn't it no it's the other guy john it's the one who i confused with john savage john yeah, savage john savage good right. i'm dumb I should say John. <laughs> I no, I've confused those two. Which one is the one in Coming Home with Jane Fonda? Is that John Savage or John Voight? That's that's John Cazale. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. But she's in love in real life. She's in love with John Cazale, and he was dying when they made that. Deer Hunter. They, yeah. Oh, so it's like his last movie. He died before it came out. So I feel bad for saying that now. Nice work, Dingus. Uh, what's What's Michael Cimino been doing? You mean post Heaven's Gate? Well, <laughs> you he mean post uh, Year of the Dragon? Post Desperate Hours? I mean, he was he done anything? Oh, uh, like Desperate Hours? Really? Was that him? Yeah, he did a remake of uh, Desperate Hours. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, yeah. Is he is he still? Did he die too? Maybe. I, I feel bad asking what he's doing lately. If he's dead, he might be dead. He can't fit in with this new CG uh, apocalypse. <laughs> he's not hiring John Dykstra to do his movies. That so. only Scorsese seems able to have weathered successfully. <laughs> and, you know what? CG may have helped Scorsese because now it's like every CG movie is interchangeable, and then a Scorsese movie comes out, and it's like, oh, look, people in it. Yeah. People in Jeeps talking about stuff. That's something we don't see anymore. I'm sure that was, if it wasn't. Did, was Ted Levine driving the Jeep in Shutter Island uh, with a yeah. the green screen, though? Was that a green screen scene, or was that like just a, a rear projection? It should have been rear projection behind them. If it wasn't, it should have been. Ted Levine was Lurch, wasn't he? 
That's Christopher Lloyd. Ted Cassidy. Do you know uh, one of uh, Havoc's name in X Men Legend? His uh, characters, his his character's name, Sean Cassidy. I'm not making that up. That's a true fact. Huh. I thought he was I named was na- Alex. I was named after him. Oh, maybe. So. Oh, you know what? You might be right, Dingus. Uh, one of them is named Sean Cassidy. When I was looking at the cast list, I was like, oh, look, Sean Cassidy. Wait, he played James Bond in the first ones, didn't he? Who? What? Sean Cassidy. Wasn't he in Doctor No? Wasn't he James Bond? Oh, good point. Sean O'Cassidy. It's O'Cassidy. You're thinking of the Bee Gees. Uh, Kelly Wand, I know the answer to this. I probably so I don't even need to ask, but I'm going to ask anyway. What is your number one favorite wedding in all of moviedom, and why did you pick this topic for my number one? Because I want to, I want anyone now, who listens to this podcast to see this wedding. Now all three of us have seen this movie, and I, only two of us thought it was genius, and one of us <laughs> thought it was the stupidest piece of shit, and was angry that he'd watched it. And so oh, you Jesus, use, really, am, really, you're oh, using come this? On. <laughs> come on, really. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, wait. I have to write down all these things we've been saying. I forgot. Uh, Diggis, what, what is it? What What do you think Kelly Wan's number one favorite wedding in all of moviedom is? <laughs> say the word, Dingus. I want to hear you say it. Say his name. I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about Kristen Wiig because I love <laughs> Bridesmaids, and that's a better wedding. What's another movie that she was in? Wilson Phillips was in that. Wilson Phillips uh, videos. <laughs> all right, Kelly Wan, tell us about your favorite wedding and what makes it good. Oh, yeah, he's saying Bridesmaids is the best wedding. That's his number yep. one. Yep. I just changed it. Better than yours. No, it's There's not. No what? There's no in the scene. She's better. She doesn't have poop splash. Wait, I know your number three is Hangover 2's wedding, and then number two's Hangover 1's wedding, and then Bridesmaids. So, Kelly Wan, tell us what your number one is, because nobody listening <sighs> knows what we're talking about. My number one best wedding ever filmed is, of course... Great classic comedy classic of 2010, MacGruber, which um, is the only wedding scene I've ever instantly rewound just so I could savor each shot of the sequence all over again because <laughs> it was so fucking good and well written. It's the, probably the greatest. It's also the greatest movie ending ever. So, <laughs> Dingus, what is your objection to the wedding at the end of MacGruber? Um, that it become that it comes at the end of the movie MacGruber. Did you object to the treatment to which Val Kilmer was subjected at that wedding? No, I think peeing, any sort of peeing or defecation at a wedding is hilarious. But you were okay with him being like machine gunned and bazookaed and thrown off a cliff. Those things did not bother you. It was the, it was the. And him trying to cut off a guy's dick, but then being told. <laughs> like, Aha, he, I'm a dick like, got blown off and it's. <laughs> fuck you. Ooh! That be the winning line, like Kilmer's revenge. Kelly, because I think this sums That's up whether or not hear Kelly why this is so important to him first. Because every joke is gangbusters. It's hilarious, dude. The the ghosts are all in their tuxedos, and Maya Rudolph, the other chick you married before. That's that's so good. God, I love that scene. It's so good. And by so, the way, I have trouble convincing anyone to see McGruber because they all go, "Oh yeah, sorry, live movie." Ugh. And it made like two cents when it came out. It was like a huge bomb. Got annihilated by Shrek 4, which I had stock in. So I didn't see MacGruber either. And then when I saw it on cable, I was like, I felt really bad for it. (laughs) And I wanted to embrace it because I was so impressed by the comedy writing. in it. That was the greatest SNL transition movie ever. 
And it so, sucks. We'll never have another one. <laughs> Kelly Wand, why don't you, uh, for people who have not seen MacGruber, why don't you explain what that thing is about Val Kilmer's member that you were just talking about? I think if you explain that joke, that someone can hear that, and they will know instantly whether or not they will enjoy MacGruber. I think that's like a good litmus test. Well, it involves setting up. It involves giving away other stuff, though, that's funny in it. Like uh, their whole history mm-hmm. that Dingus was also annoyed by. Because <laughs> he said verbatim, that was so st- – oh, abortion jokes. It's uh, – MacGruber is marrying Kristen Wiig, who sings periodically. But he was going to get married to Maya Rudolph. Well, now I don't think you need to go into all of oh, that. No, like, okay, just the, the, well, see, there's a lot going on in that wedding scene. That's what I'm saying. There's like nine payoffs all per right, wedding. Right, right. But the joke where uh, MacGruber has vowed a certain kind of revenge on Val Kilmer and how Val Kilmer gets out of that revenge. I think if you just explain that joke, oh, if okay. you think that's funny, you will enjoy the rest of MacGruber, I would say. Well, just for what it's worth, MacGruber's basically fucked over the Val Kilmer character, and that's what's turned the Val Kilmer character into a James Bond villain who wants to start World War III like in X-Men, a movie that Dingus likes more than MacGruber. That's the same plot. And uh, to me... Oh, and so... And Val Kilmer also killed his last wife at the wedding, but this time they used the priest, the human shield, so he lives, (laughs) and she lives, I guess... The thing is, too, the wedding goes on. Okay, I'll explain the dick joke, and then I'll get, I'll explain why it's the greatest wedding ever. Which, the dick joke is just one facet of. But uh, MacGruber has this obsession with cutting off James Bondville and Val Kilmer, uh, von Kunt's uh, dick, and feeding it to him. And so he headbutts Val Kilmer, <laughs> even though Val Kilmer has a hook for a hand because he got blown up earlier in the movie because they left him to die. Uh, in an explosion, but his dick got blown off. So he taunts MacGruber with that, like, ah, you can't cut off my dick because I don't have one anymore. <laughs> so MacGruber asks to instead uh, throw him over a cliff and then machine gun him and then rocket launch him as he falls and then piss on his burned up shriveled body. <laughs> and Dingus, why don't you think that's funny? What? What? What's your? And then it keeps there? going over the over the credits. It's still going. <laughs> And also, I just want to say, the thing that, to me, is so genius about that is, you know how I have this thing about how comic characters shouldn't be redeemed, and when they get redeemed, movies suck, like Iron Man? Like, when he after he stops drinking, he's lame. Mm-hmm. And MacGruber, the redemption at the end of MacGruber is, everyone becomes like MacGruber instead of him having learned anything. Like, his, like Powers Booth is his boss, and Ryan Philippe, like, they're all like, yeah, they all think he's a total asshole, until the end of the movie, and then it's like, all right, MacGruber, you know what you're doing. Thanks. Now, now Dingus, is Kelly Wand bringing you around to an increased fondness for MacGruber yet? My number three is now Wedding Crashers. It's all of the sex montages. And my number two is Raising Arizona when everybody says, well, okay then. And my number one is now Old School when Vince Vaughn's making jokes. So you can now put those down. <laughs> okay, I'm changing mine to Kill Bill. The Godfather, and of course, my number one would have to be The Graduate. Wait, is it Kill Bill 2? Wait. <laughs> the Graduate, it wasn't a consummated wedding, so it shouldn't count. I was, uh, oh, no, uh, no, Princess Bride. I'm going to put Princess Bride because that guy's got such a funny speech impediment. So Princess Bride, um, Old School, and Raising Arizona. Those are my three now. I'm going to replace Kill Bill with Meet the Parents. Actually, is that, does the wedding actually happen in that? I don't. You know what? I'm going to take Wedding Singer instead because Adam Sandler comedies are so funny. 
Uh, I'm going to replace gonna play Stingus as three There's with a- the first three weddings and four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to replace them all with a funeral. Uh, Kelly, one, I do want to say, when you say the best movie adapted from Sar- a Saturday Night Live property, uh, my, my initial reaction was like, no, come on, there's got to be something better. But Name I, a better one. I know, I know, I think you're right. I don't think I can. Because MacGruber, I think, is bad. Like, I don't, I, I loved it. I, I, I don't know about loved it. I really enjoyed it. I think it's, it's pretty bad. Um, and that's not a knock against it necessarily. But, uh, I don't, I don't know that they're, I think you're right. I can't think, Dingus, in all earnestness, what would you say is the best adaptation of a Saturday Night Live skit to a movie? Like, can you think of one that, that even remotely works? I could be, I could be missing something here. I'll tell you another one I like that I bet you guys think is, the worst movie ever after this. I don't know that I can name any of them other than Night at the Rock. Wayne's World. Wayne's World was a popular. Box I was. Office. I wasn't that crazy about the Wayne's World movies. No, uh, they suck. They're totally overrated. But you know which one I kind of liked was It's Pat. <laughs> I never. I never saw that. I didn't see that. But the Wayne's World things were just so like safe and toothless and yeah. And, and MacGruber, I thought it's had generic. real. Yeah, and and that's you couldn't say that about MacGruber. MacGruber no. is not. And worried. MacGruber's about what it's about and. That character doesn't give a shit about anything. It's Dingus, great. would you disagree with Kelly Wand when he says that MacGruber is about what it's about? Uh, I would agree with him. It is definitely about what it's about. I think it might I, be I, about I, other things as well, but it's also about what it's about. I think that's a very important concession that you've just made here tonight, Dingus. That's good. I agree. I, I agreed with him that <laughs> in the end of our X-Men podcast, and I agree now that it is. You're right, Tom. That's so, and, and you would you would also yeah. say that, that it is what it is, right? Uh, is means senator. <laughs> I, I love that we made you angry. So you didn't know that last week when Kelly Wan said favorite weddings. You did not know that he was bringing that up just so that we could talk to you about MacGruber more. No, that way you laughed so hard. Of course, of course. Uh, but I'm not <laughs> truly so much thinking, time so I really think about this. Great wedding. So. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I, well, no, I, you know, I want to get your insight. But I think – put it this way. MacGruber sort of – up until the wedding scene, some scenes are better than others. But that's that's like it stirs to life in the last five minutes. <laughs> it's all worth it. <laughs> the sex scenes are funny too. But there's not one bad joke in that wedding scene for me. And the Powers Booth reaction when he's he's like MacGruber's peeing on Val Kilmer. And Powers Booth just nods sagely like that's his Richard Crenna as Troutman rambling. Yeah, that's what you do, son. Well done. Bravo. Like they're rewarding the groupers. Total rant. Sand. It's so good. I love that movie. Now, did we have any runners up that didn't get uh, rattled off as Dingus was revising his list there? I like the one in the jerk kind of because it's also two seconds long. Do you remember that one at all? Bernadette Peters, right? No. Yeah, he goes, well, we had a traditional uh, L.A. wedding, and it's like a, a troll shaman from World of Warcraft dancing and capering around them nakedly. But they're wearing, like, normal wedding clothes. Because he's a jerk. He's not even a jerk. That movie title doesn't make any sense. He's just a dumbass. Huh, well, well, jerk used to mean something different. Uh, you know, language. Yeah, you so pulling your Peter. So did jerk. Right. Yeah. Jerk uh, Dingus, any runners up from you? Um... I really do like the the wedding in old school just because I think Vince Vaughn's so funny. You know what he's saying? Yeah, he's standing up there. Uh, Will Ferrell's about to get married, and and he's standing up at the front of the uh, the congregation, uh, just saying, "Don't do it, don't do it." And they say, "Look, there's my wife. See, judging, judging. Look at the baby. Look at the baby." <laughs> 
and I, and whenever and I've got a couple of friends that when you know we, we just that's one of our little code lines judging judging look at the baby look at the baby uh, <laughs> so I, I love that he's just talking to him like that don't do it yeah you've chosen one vagina for the rest of your life good job <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's what it is. And the other one, the other one I would have chosen is diner because it's it it's that whole gag about the Colts colors and the Colts fight song and all that stuff. Is that the part where he does the popcorn trick? Because he's in the reception area. No, no, that's earlier in the movie. The the culmination of the movie because Steve Gutenberg's uh, the whole the the joke is that um, he's such a Colts fan that his his wife to be has to pass a test about Colts trivia. This is when they were in Baltimore, of course. And, oh, right. Uh, I remember. And so the wedding is all Colts. Uh, and she passes. Oh, well, no, she, she fails it. Oh, she, she fails. Does, but she and, tries. She studies. And oh, yeah. She tries her, her ass off. Uh, and then he eventually, you know, she misses, like, by two points. And, and his dad's like, right. sportsmanship, come on. And eventually he just says, yeah, I'll do it. And but the the whole wedding is is Colts colors and Colts fight song and then a it's but it's kind of goofy and and a little bit artificial so Kelly Wand isn't for those types of wedding artificial weddings now can you believe Kelly Wand that Dingus berated you for bringing up MacGruber and he's offering a Steve Gutenberg movie yeah uh, and Dances with Wolves <laughs> and getting, then he gets mad oh that MacGruber's no Dances with Wolves. Well, Dingus, oh. this is uh, this is your chance to get back at Kelly Wand with a three by three. Do, do you have do you have a, do you have one for Kelly Wand that might make him mad? No, I don't think anything can make. Is is it possible to make Kelly Wand mad? Not really. Three movies that are better than MacGruber. How's that for a three by three? Would that Kelly Wand would flip his lid? Kelly well, would no one could, no one could make would a say MacGruber, MacGruber, and MacGruber, and then he would tell us why MacGruber <laughs> is better than MacGruber three times. That's a good yeah. point. He would he would outfox you on that. All right, okay. There's no way to make I you know mine mine my three by three is is absolutely stupid, but there's no way to make him really mad. Is your are you now is this so you're you're this is breaking news your three by three is stupid. Uh, I absolutely love it because oh. uh, there were a couple things I saw this week that. I made a joke about this many, many moons ago, um, and then I started. He's thinking, still talking like Dances with Wolves. See, and um, that's right. Uh, many moons was uh, my he, wife. Season harvest. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like it, but I think you guys are going to groan. Oh, okay. Well, let's see if your prediction comes true, Dinkus. Give Making us me groans easy. <laughs> give us a three by three for next week. All right. Uh, your three favorite facial expressions. Uh. That's not his real three by three. That's his. Does C three PO count? It's his griefing one. Wait, no, three th favorite facials. Three favorite, not bukkake. This is not a bukkake thing. Uh, your three favorite facial expressions. Uh, one of the things I really love in film is uh, watching actors listen, and uh, really getting a feeling when an actor is listening or when he or she is really reacting to a situation, and you see it. And so uh, if you can do this, good for you. If you can't, then you can just choose uh, MacGruber. So it's your your three favorite. And seriously, isolate a moment uh, that is uh, a facial expression that you think is a great okay. facial expression. Tell us why. So it's and not like it's not like number three, frown. Number two, scowl. Number one, furrowed brow. 
If you want no, specifically, go ahead. Now you have to act here's it an out. Example. Here's an example of one that's hammy, but but I'll, I'll give you an example of one mm-hmm. um, from a movie that that I know the two of you really really love. And this movie is Return of the Jedi. And uh, there's a moment in Return of the Jedi when um, when Han Solo says to Leia, "La la 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 la." <laughs> go ahead, Dingus. <laughs> When Han Solo says to Leia, you know, if you and Luke want to get together and, and bump uglies, go ahead. I'll get out of the way. You guys go ahead. You do it. And then Leia says, no, it's not like that. He's my brother. Or I'm his sister or somehow. And then Han does this huge, like, oh, I get it now. Face. And so that's what I'm doing, except I would like something more honest and real. All right, good. <laughs> All right, so that's from our new feature, Something About Star Wars. <laughs> Next week will be mine. I will have one. Um, uh, I already know one of mine, so I like this, Dingus. Uh, very, very well chosen. Uh, good. I do, All too, right. and Dingus is going to hate it. Uh, well, I, it's also inspired by your three favorite uh, gestures. Oh, like Obi-Wan Kenobi's in Star Wars? <laughs> that non-faked one that Tom... Do you guys think that that was CG? Uh, I know for a fact that was not CG. It was not faked. Uh, it was... He learned to do that in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are we going to see next week? Is it called? I it's not eight, eight super eight, not eight million eight. What's the so? There's a Brian it's De Palma thing about about snuff films, isn't there? Called like is it sixteen millimeter? Oh, it's What's, eight millimeter. Eight, eight millimeter. millimeter. Nicholas Cage. Now, now, okay, I actually have a question. Seriously, so Super Eight is still referring to eight millimeter film? Is that correct? I don't know. I know uh, nothing about it whatsoever. Okay, I, I imagine that's what it's about, but I it's know like the old timey seventies home movies kind of thing. I took film school, so I used. But but the, so the snuff movie though is the Nicolas Cage snuff movie is referring to the same. It's eight millimeter number. Like Preston gets killed in it. Yeah. Okay, you remember who directed that, by the way? Brian De Palma. Uh, no, no, Frankenheimer. Wait. Joel Schumacher. Oh. oh. Wow. I'm not the sure. Michael Bay of the '90s. Oh, you know, I'm thinking of Snake Eyes. That's Nicolas Cage, right? Isn't that a Nicolas Cage, Brian De Palma? That's De Palma, yeah. Right, right. You're right, you're right. Okay, well, this isn't that. We're talking about Super 8, and all I know is it's associated, it's affiliated with J.J. Abrams somehow. So we're going to see that next week. Then we are going to come back here to this place at this time and talk about it, and we'd like you to join us. And after that, we will then talk about our three favorite facial expressions. It, Mm -hmm. it, 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 It promises to be pretty awesome, I think. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, all right, so uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Krasansky. Uh, yeah, Christian Krasansky. Christian Moroski. Mm, I don't think that's right. Uh, and that's my mutation. My mutation is mine. <laughs> Very good. And Kelly Wand. I guess Hank McCoy was more fruit brute. <laughs> Look at him enjoyed hearing grown men discussing an X-Men movie, 
visit our local website at usdairycouncil.websitesuffix.matrix.reloaded.councildairysu. Gentlemen, it's been an honor serving with you. Uh, serving under me. Uh,